I'm Dan Kurtzke. And I'm Corwin Kroll. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 135. Yay, you got it right. Yeah. <laughs> well, thankfully, Corwin's here, so I don't have to talk to you for the rest of this episode. Hi, Corwin. What's up? Nothing much. Just hanging in there. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Corwin, awesome. would you mind telling Dan to uh, tell everybody what we're going to be talking about tonight? Uh. Mommy, Daddy said you should tell everybody what we're talking about tonight. I love how you automatically make you the mommy. <laughs> it's your voice. It's a little, a little more high pitched than mine. Uh, it's not. Hey, it's not my fault. I'm the youthful one. You old sack of dirt. God. So yeah, tonight we're gonna be talking about. Aliens, and not the usual ones we usually talk about, but the aliens, aliens from, you know, those, aliens. the Ridley Scott aliens. Versus, <laughs> listen, alien aliens, you know. Yeah, the aliens. alien ones from the planet Alien. Yeah, no, the, uh, we're going to look at the Green Lantern versus Aliens miniseries from two, the 19-something. <laughs> it was from that year where that thing happened. It was a uh, DC Dark Horse crossover that pits a... Uh, Two generations of Green Lanterns versus the titular aliens from the uber popular science fiction horror film series. Two thousand. Yes. Two thousand. That was two thousand. Mm-hmm. Twelve what years a, ago. What a year. That's, and we can get into whether or not this is aged well, but uh. Man. Yeah, and we will. Now, Corwin, you're you are a big fan of the Alien films, right? Yes, yes, I am. Cool. Like how big? Like, like on a scale of one to ten, how big a fan of the aliens or who do you think? Uh, probably a good nine or ten. I have like every single collected edition for the movies. I have the three movie box set on VHS. I have the quadrilogy box set on DVD, and I've got the recent one box set f- for the Blu-ray. So. I have it all. I have a bunch of the toys in storage. I uh, even got recently some of the newer toys from Japan when I was over there. Some of the really uh, Revolver Tech figures, which are completely posable in like thousands of joints. They're just great. Wow. But yes, I love the franchise. Have you read any of like, the comics? A little bit. Not much. Hmm. So I guess you don't love the franchise that much. Yeah. I guess you can't. Yeah, I guess I can't say I love the the comic franchise. I love the movie franchise more than anything. Yeah, because things like what we're gonna talk about tonight make me wonder if it's one of those things where like it doesn't cross over well to comics because most licensed things have that problem. Well, I mean, it all, it all started with the Alien vs Predator comics, which I've read a little bit of, but hmm. no, no, it started based on the the movie. Well, I mean, but the comics, the it's it's branching out into its own comic thing. Was mainly like the Alien versus Predator stuff, right? I mean, yeah, the movie kind of inspired stuff, but then that AVP kind of took on a life of its own. Um, I don't, yeah, I, I don't know the like where it's spun off, but I know, it, you know, first it was the movie, and then uh, Walt Simonson did the comic adaptation. Mm-hmm. Walt Simonson did that. Yes, mm-hmm. they actually just released a like an like almost like an artist edition. Oh yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Jim, did you? I know you guys had to move and everything, but did you and Lauren ever finish powering through the entire film franchise of the Aliens, with oh, like all like eight movies or whatever? We we finished it in like slightly over a weekend, and nice. the only reason it took slightly over a weekend is because we had to uh, wait until like Monday or Tuesday to go out and get Predators. Um, <laughs> yeah, like I've had the the quad the quadrilogy for a long time on DVD and just never got around to watching it. But it was always the kind of thing that we wanted to watch. And, you know, with Prometheus coming out, like the previews for Prometheus just looked amazing. So it's like, okay, well, we finally have to watch all of these. So we watched, uh, watched all four alien movies, um, which I think, I think they start out strongest in the first one. And then they get a little weaker with each progressing uh, yes. movie. But, they, you know, they were all entertaining. Um, then uh, we followed that up with uh, Predator 1 and Predator 2. I, I definitely love the Predator movies a little bit more. Um, then Alien vs. Predator 1 and then 2. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Those never existed. <laughs> they existed to me. I love the first one. The first one was fantastic. Um, I mean, listen, they have to be taken as their own, you know, separate thing. Yeah. But uh, I thought they were entertaining. The second one, less so. Um, the second one had more of the, uh, you know, like horror movie conceits where people do stupid things just <laughs> to progress the plot. I'm going to go take a shower. Yeah. You, anybody there? Yeah. <laughs> Um, did you did you watch both versions of Alien Three, the director's cut and the, the theatrical cut? No, we just we just watched the special like the special edition or the director's cut of everything on the first shot. Um, okay. And then uh, yeah, and then after AVP two, you're gonna say AVX. I was going to say AVX. After <laughs> AVP two, then you know we got to see Predators, so we, we had watched the entire thing. Um. You know, all aliens, all predator movies, and yeah, we, you know, looking forward to seeing Prometheus, which we have now seen. I, I, I definitely love the uh, Predators. I really like that one too. I could, I could never really get into the Predator movies. I think the reason is because I saw Predator Two first, <laughs> and it lost to Danny Glover. <laughs> so, so I, I don't know. You know, that kind of takes the the oomph out of the Predators a little bit. Well, the recent one by Robert Rodriguez was really... I liked it a lot. That's probably oh, my yeah, favorite. Yeah. yeah, that was a good movie. Oh, but, I, but, but... Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry, just to finish up with Jim. Alien 3, there's, it's two completely different movies. The theatrical cut and the uh, director's cut. Completely, completely different. Which which one was 3? When she shaved her head on a prison planet. Oh, yes, the prison the, planet. The alien dog. Yeah. yeah. Well, it depends on which version you watch. One of them is a bull, the other one is a dog. So, like I why, said, why would they have a bull just hanging com- out in jail? Completely, they, they changed so much. They were using them for like travel. They use it to drag garbage and stuff like that, just like livestock. Huh. Interesting. Which one's better? I, I, I probably say the director's cut. I don't. I have to rewatch. I don't remember 
too much of it, but probably the director's cut. I think I enjoyed that one more, though. Yeah. I, I can't name the differences off top. I think I need to see Predators again, like the most recent one. Cause yes. I, I remember liking... I went to see that in the theater, and I liked it for the most part, but there was something about it I hated. I cannot for the life of me remember. Was the Adrian Brody? No, no, I'm fine with Adrian Brody. Him, oh. and, his big, him and his big nose are fine. Okay. <laughs> Alright, so should we jump into this masterpiece? Let's go for it. Alright, so... Uh, want me to review the first uh, first part? The short part? Do we yes. want you to review the short part? Yes. Why, why don't we give our guests that option? Do oh, you want me to start it off? Yeah, okay. if, it, what do you, if you want. What do you want to do, Paul? I'll do it. I'll definitely do it. Uh, so, <laughs> issue one, and this is what really surprised me, the creative team behind this. Ron Mars, who is, of course, you know... Ran, who just took off with Kyle and the whole story from there onward. Uh, penciler Rick Leonardi, uh, inker Mike Perkins, colorist David Stewart, letterer Steve Dutoro, and artist cover artist Dwayne Turner. So I mean, we, we've got a pretty good uh, stable of creators here who you know have still in the industry till today. But basically, we start off on some alien. <laughs> still Wait. in the industry today. But yeah. we start off. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, should they be? Stay tuned. <laughs> we we start off with some green, random Green Lantern who has been uh, captured by the aliens, and of course, in chestburster fashion, we have uh, the birth of a new alien. Cut to Earth, where uh, <laughs> there's some bank robbers and green gray alien mask who are stopped by Black Canary and uh, Green Arrow, and Hal shows up. You know, they kind of kick some butt. When Hal is kind of called off-world to deal with uh, something that the Guardians need him to deal with. So he heads out. He meets up with uh, Kilowog, Kat Matui, uh, Salak, and a bunch of other lanterns, Green Man, a few other lanterns. And they end up going to this planet that's inhabited by the aliens. So you get the usual tropes where the aliens swarm them in uh, Tomar. Which Tomar is this? Is it Re? Tomar Ray. Tomare. So yeah, Tomare actually tries to slice the tail off of an alien, and of course, the acid burns him. And they realize they're, well, Hal actually realizes that they're not dealing with uh, evil beings. They're just kind of uh, perfect killing machines. That's kind of their, uh, what they are, basically. He says they're not evil, it's just kind of what they are. So he uh, he talks to other lanterns out of slaughtering them, and they decide that they're going to... Uh, bubble up all these aliens and eggs and bring them to a planet where no one would ever go. They actually bring them to Mogo. <laughs> yeah, they're going to release thousands of deadly aliens on Mogo. So, of course, a decade later, ten years later, some spaceship ends up crashing on Mogo. You think as they were leaving, Mogo just said, yeah, yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks. <laughs> Take them with you, dicks. <laughs> perfect solution, really? Yeah. Yeah, perfect solution. Here, you deal with this. We're going home. <laughs> oh, uh, I love I love the artistic choice of like, you know, they, when they're flying away from Mogo, you see the Green Lantern band around them, and when it flashes forward to the present day, when Mogo's not active anymore, the the landmaster, the symbol is still there, but it's broken. Yeah, so because we're to know at this point that there is no more Green Lantern 
core, Kyle is the only lantern, which means whoever's landing on Mogul right now is going to be in tons of trouble. Yes. And that actually, that's kind of one of the reasons I thought this first issue deserved to be talked about individually from the rest of the series, because at the time this came out, this was kind of a big deal, because this was this was very firmly in the age where <clears throat> there was no Green Lantern Corps anymore, Hal Jordan was not around as Green Lantern anymore, and a tremendous chunk of fandom couldn't shut up about how much they wanted him back as Green Lantern and wanted to see the core again. So an issue like this comes around. Like, I think the cover for this issue is, like, Hal Jordan front and center, ring and costume right there with the aliens behind him. Like, like I, like I have no idea how well any of this sold, but I assume people were all over this first issue. <laughs> oh, it's funny. It's like you could almost take it as, like, a one-shot if you really didn't care about the rest of the story. Which you shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, but no, like, don't, don't give it away. Uh, but Jim, like, do you, don't you remember, like, back in like the late '90s, early 2000s, like, more so on the '90s side, I guess they would have every now and then DC would put out some sort of like Elseworld or or yeah, imaginary yeah. story, something that was just like a, a new Hal Jordan as Green Lantern adventure that didn't actually count, just to kind of kind of poking at people who wanted more Hal Jordan Green Lantern stories. Yeah, and what's what's actually pretty funny about this is that the the artist on here, like, especially with the Green Arrow, this guy is doing his best Neil Adams impression. Mm-hmm. So it's like trying to, like, really distinguish it and give it, like, a feel from the Hal Jordan stories of yesteryear. Like, this issue would be able to fit, you know in any of the storylines back then. Yeah, I can see that. It's very general. It's like... Mm-hmm. Uh. The, uh, the one, you know, the one thing that, even when I was reading this originally, you know, it's like, you know enough about the Green Lantern mythos that Tomar Ray slices off the tail of one of these guys and the acid burns him. Now, what about their protective auras? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, let's face it. The Green Lanterns are already tremendously overpowered for this, as it is. True. Yeah. So, oh, and then the other thing that I thought was hysterical was that the planet that these aliens are on is inhabited by other humans. Or humanoids, rather. Um, which is why they're taking them off this planet so that they can't harm anybody else on the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just, I thought that it was hysterical, especially considering some of the, like the showcases and early Green Lantern issues that we've been <laughs> reading, where Hal Jordan goes to a, an alien planet, and it's like, if there's a humanoid, then anything else on that planet, he will slaughter <laughs> without even thinking twice. He will encase you in ice and suffocate you to death. <laughs> And then and he'll have a smile as he flies out into space. I just killed a race today. Uh, what made me laugh was that at the beginning, when the bank robbers in wearing the alien masks show up, they're just like, greetings, Earthlings, take us to your money. <laughs> they're robbing everybody. <laughs> it was a nice contract. Like, it was a nice choice, because it's like, it starts you out with, like, Hal fighting, like, the most ridiculous 
rendition of an alien you can think of, and then it goes to the most bloodthirsty. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, the, I think the, the first issue overall is very good. <laughs> like, uh, hey, it's Black Canary and that other guy. Get yeah. him! <laughs> yeah, the art, the art, I think, was was definitely a highlight for this issue. It, it felt old school, definitely. Yeah. And my god, that... That page turn where Hal sees the aliens coming up behind him, yes. the look on his face is the greatest thing <laughs> I've ever seen. <laughs> like, he looks like he just crapped himself. Yeah. That's basically the look that you would have if you saw that. Yeah. Uh, and you know, while it's cool that they, they threw in all of these alien Green Lanterns, and, you know, I get why. They, they did it because this was one of the only places they could do it at the time. But... You know, they were really completely unnecessary to this. Like, it could have just been Hal by himself kind of thing. It probably would have been, like, scarier or whatever, but... Makes you wonder how that first Green Lantern got caught. Ooh, yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> Maybe he was out of power. Maybe he just sucked. <laughs> Maybe he was a rookie. <laughs> well, that's a good point. His ring probably did run out of charge. Yeah, because Hal is, you know, looking at the ring. It's, like, dead on the ground. No energy coming off of it. Yeah. They didn't even say, hey, let's stay together, and then he wanders down a corridor by himself. <laughs> it's like, yeah, oh no, he's like, we should split up. Because, <laughs> that, you know, that, that they always have to say that. <laughs> like, like, guys, I have a great idea. Scooby-Doo taught me. Let's let's split up and see what happens. <laughs> no, no, the best part about it is that he's like, we'll split up. And then all of a sudden, like, two seconds later, it's like, here, they're here, get over here, the aliens are here. <laughs> like, he literally, like, as soon as he turns around, he sees the corpse of the guy they're looking for. It's like, they were in the same hallway the entire time. Yeah, yeah. Like, five feet away from the alien horde. You know, with with all the different races in the Green Lantern Corps, you would think that, like, maybe just got caught by surprise, but you wouldn't think their appearance would actually freak them out. I mean, considering that some of these aliens have gotten red rings. (laughs) (laughs) Have we seen one of these as an Easter egg? I don't even remember. These aliens, yeah, I'm pretty sure that we've seen aliens as red lanterns. Oh, at least one. We've seen that Predator as a Sinestro Corps. Sinestro Corps, yep. Yeah. And actually, in Red Lanterns number 10, there's two more Marvel Easter eggs. Ooh, well, I'll have to look for that. I haven't, I actually haven't read any of the number 10s yet. They're very good. Mm-hmm. I just wait. Oh, wait, no, no, I read Green Lantern number 10. I didn't read the other ones yet. Ugh. <laughs> Soon. Soon, young <laughs> one. Yes. <laughs> All right. All right, so... Moving on. Jim, do you want to take the rest of the book? Oh, God. <laughs> you want me to do it? Um, oh, God. I'll tell you what. I'll, <laughs> I'm going to give, I'm going to give a, you know, a quick synopsis and, uh, <clears throat> and you just fill in, you know, anything that you think, uh, correct you as you go. <laughs> yeah. Hold on one second. Um, sure you want to do it? Yeah. <clears throat> <laughs> like three issues right here. Let's yeah. do this. <laughs> okay, so 
issue two starts off. Kyle is, you know, doing some artwork. Nice little aliens homage. Oh, and did you guys notice the uh, the spirit bust right next to his desk? Yep. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, so it's it's really late. He just finished doing a, a job, and he's greeted by somebody from Tomar's race. Um, <laughs> he's just like, oh, okay, yeah, you're there. Um, yeah, so him and a bunch of other uh, former Green Lanterns just showed up at Kyle's home. And uh, they need him to clean up a mess that, you know, they made back in Hal's day because they, you know, Hal decided to bring them to Mogo and now, uh, you know, a ship is crashing on Mogo. So they need his help to get to Mogo and then save these people and clean up their mess. So, okay, so he charges up his battery. Off they go. Um, There's only one survivor left on the ship. Um... It's, uh, uh, what is her name? Crow. Crow. Yeah, she's a apparently human woman. Yes, yes. So so they meet Crowbot, and, uh... Spoilers! <laughs> yeah, well, please. <laughs> hey, wait a second, a robot named Crow. Hmm. Yeah. MST3K. Yeah, cool. everybody, Tom Servo. Uh. <laughs> like, honestly, like, if you didn't know that she was a robot... Like three seconds into this, Kyle didn't know. Okay, yeah. well, Kyle hasn't seen the quadrilogy on Blu-ray like you have. Okay, he didn't know there's a secret robot in every Aliens movie. <laughs> so yeah, they get there, and you know the former Green Lanterns are all giving Kyle some crap about, you know, it's like on our day, you know, things were you know much better, and blah 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 blah. Oh god, Salik especially, he's such a dick. Yeah, yeah, Salik is definitely a dick in this. Um, so Crow is like, you know, I'm you know, I'm gonna go get my crew back, I've got guns. So now instead of Kyle, you know, being like yeah, which he he was, he's like, I'll go alone and they're all like, No, we're gonna go with you. They basically make themselves like an army of liabilities for Kyle. <laughs> they descend into this pit you know, made by the aliens, and, uh, well, no, they, they approach the pit, and the aliens are just, like, you know, hovering right above them. So it's up to Crow and Kyle to, you know, try and save as many people as possible. And uh, they're they're failing. These aliens are just picking them off one by one, and uh, <laughs> finally they, what is it, they... The only person that they're able to keep from getting torn away is Salik. Um, and the Tomar's, you know, guy, the Tomar guy, he's falling down the shaft, and Kyle goes to reach out and, you know, grab his hand. Instead of using it, making a construct of a platform for him to stand on, he tries to, you know, save him with his hand. And uh, I guess his hands were incredibly sweaty because his ring <laughs> slips off. You know, heads down this this long pit. Um, you know, and they close out the issue. It's like, oh no, I don't have my ring. This is something that happened constantly around this time in 2000. <laughs> I'm glad you pointed out that the idiot should have made a construct because he's he was doing it all before. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, like yeah, he makes an eagle to save Tomar the first time. He makes a Superman to save uh, Brick. You know, he's like he's making all these contracts constructs to save everybody but you know for this one it's like oh, oh i have to reach and grab him with my hand 
And then my ring, which isn't supposed to be t- able to be taken off my hand. <laughs> it's, it's, anyway, so very very contrived. Exactly. Although, hey Corwin, refresh my memory. The aliens like it's not like a weakness, but they hate fire, right? Yeah, they don't like fire. Or like, yeah. there's at least somebody with a flamethrower in every alien movie, right? Something yes. like that. Yes. I I thought of that because Kyle at one point makes like a a backpack flamethrower and it starts attacking them. So I'm yeah. like, oh wait, like I think that's from the movies. So uh, issue three, um, you know, Kyle's like, oh, what am I gonna do? I don't have my ring. We're we're defenseless. We're completely helpless. Uh, oh, let me try and get my ring. Let me will it to me, but. That doesn't work because the the goo is magic goo and <laughs> it overcomes Kyle's willpower. So we basically spend this entire issue with Kyle flirting with Crobot and uh, you know trying to learning how to use a gun to defend themselves. It basically takes them an entire issue to finally go down this this damn pit to get to the, the ring. <laughs> they uh, they find. Like uh, where a bunch of the crew members have been slaughtered already, um, so then they continue on, and and you know, meanwhile, like they get to the bottom of this pit, the ring's not there. <laughs> this ring like fell down the pit and then bounced and then kept rolling and then bounced some more. And it was it like, like it like went around corners, opened doors, exactly, um, over dead bodies. You know, the aliens uh, attacked them at one point, and, uh, of course, Kyle's, you know, his gun, um, it, uh, locks Jams. up. Yep. Um, you know, and Crobot saves his life, and, you know, they're more flirting, and it's like, thanks for saving my life back there. Oh, no problem, Kyle. Thank you, Crobot. Um, and then they finally get to, I guess, like, the, you know, the center of their pit, where you have the queen alien making a whole bunch of uh, eggs. You see all the former Green Lanterns up on the wall. And uh, and their crew. And, and the rest of the crew, and uh, <laughs> presumably about to die. And that's when Kyle spots it, his ring. It's at the bottom of this pit, just behind the queen alien <laughs> stuck in the goo. Not contrived at all. No, no. It rolled there. <laughs> it rolled there. It did. Uh, I like how... It's not round enough to roll, but it rolled there. <laughs> I like how Crowbot got acid spilled on her, and she wouldn't let Kyle look at the wound. Yes, yes. Because oh, so. it, it wasn't time for Kyle to find out that she was a robot yet. Yes, it wasn't. It was still mysterious. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, God. Then, uh... <laughs> the final issue of this mess. Yes, he tries... He tries to will the ring to him again. It, yes. It, it doesn't work, but that's a. I, I really like that page. Yeah, and he tries to will it, and it pulls the magic goo quite a bit. So he really does get it off the ground quite a bit. But instead of zapping it with a gun so that the ring could then fly to him and save everybody's life, <laughs> they develop this completely convoluted plan where Crobot is going to jump in and start shooting away and make herself a target. And Kyle is going to make his way to the ring. Um, <laughs> you know, that is an excellent point. Because, like, about a page later when he grabs the ring, he makes construct hands before he puts it on. So he can use it. 
He doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't need it to be on his finger. <laughs> well, it's because he was in closer proximity to the wing. Oh, but I, I appreciate the comic book lisp you put in that <laughs> So, he kisses Crobot for, uh, for luck. They jump out, and uh, she makes it about three feet before the aliens start tearing her apart, and you find out that she is a robot. <gasps> Gasp! What, a, Wait, what an amazing reveal. She's a robot? Yes. She is? Yes, Crobot. Her? And then, and then suddenly her, her word balloons change to be more robotic now, too. Well, yeah, because they they must have attacked her speech centers first. Well, no, because now her her words are leaking out of the hole in her face instead of her mouth. That's, that's how that works. <laughs> yes. Um, and instead of trying to go and get his ring, now all of a sudden Kyle is like, you know, oh, look at this. It's a face hugger crawling out. Oh, this is an amazing sight. Let me let me investigate. Let's get a closer look. Yes. He's, he's seriously, he's about to lunge at his ring. Then he sees an XR dash, and he stops. And he's like, there's like three panels where he just stands there looking at it hatch. And then it jumps on his face. It's like, yeah, no, you deserve this. You deserve to die. <laughs> yep, yep. Yep. And uh, so he, he tears it off of his face with the ring once he finally gets his ring. Um disregarding the fact that he probably would have ripped his face off because that's usually how the face huggers work. It's like it's wouldn't he shouldn't he be like impregnated with an alien seed right now? <laughs> Pretty much. Um, but he, he probably used the ring to get it out of him. Oh yeah no, because he's been great at that yeah. so far. <laughs> so uh, he gets the ring on and uh, you know then the aliens you know start attacking him and um, he does the most logical thing possible. He creates a tiny little itty bitty Green Lantern shield to block himself from the alien. <laughs> you know, not a bubble, not not like a massive shield or a suit of body armor or anything like that. It's like like literally like this is the kind of shield that Adam West Batman used to carry around <laughs> in the old Batman TV show. Yeah, he used to fold it up and put it in his pocket. Exactly. That's <laughs> That's 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 what you you get with with this uh, this shield. Um, so uh, you know he, he ends up creating a construct of a gun, and uh, you know the robot is telling him it's like you have to kill them, you have to kill them all. Um, he's like I can't do that. I'm not a killer. Um, you well, know more th- more importantly, he's saying he doesn't need to anymore, which we'll come back to that. Yeah, and then two seconds later he does. It kills them all. <laughs> he does it while reciting the oath. So, not only did he not respect the oath before, but now he respects it so little that he recites it while he's committing genocide. <laughs> Destroys every alien, uh, presumably every alien, period. Um, although at this point, uh, a bunch of... Uh, the Green Lanterns have already been uh, murdered. Um, he ends up saving uh, Tomar and the other Green Lantern, former Green Lantern, that I, I don't even remember her name now. I think she was new. I think she was one of like the, she was going to be a candidate. No, <laughs> she was a Green Lantern. Um, she was definitely one of the Green Lanterns. Tomar was the one that was going to be a Green Lantern. 
He was the next of the Zudarians. Mahanda. Mahad. M H D A H N A. Madonna? Mahadna. <laughs> Mahatna? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, Space no. Gandhi. He saved Good Space enough. Gandhi. <laughs> yeah. Good enough for me. Um, but apparently Ash, Brick, and uh, Salak, and Crobot, and all the, also the rest of her crew, all died. Um, so uh, Salak's dead, um, Ash is dead, and Brick is dead. Um, two of which are, like, very prominently featured after this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah. So this is this is one hundred percent completely out of continuity. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I, was, I, re- I was glad to see Ash bag too. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I remember when when um the well, the Johns era started and we got Salik back in the core. I remember a lot of people at the time who I talked with were like, "Wait a second, I read that Green Lantern versus Alien thing. I thought Salik died." I'm like, "No, no, that that didn't count." They're like, yeah, it did. Like, no, no, it was an intercompany crossover. They're like, no, it wasn't. Like, yeah, yeah, no, Dark Horse has the Aliens license. They're like, shut up. That's how that went. Yeah. So, um, yes, they they destroyed all the aliens, um, <laughs> except for presumably one that made it into the Red Lantern Corps. That's actually probably how... <laughs> That's probably how he made it into the Red Lanterns. He's so angry that Kyle destroyed the rest of his race. So, so the ring replaced the acid in his system, his his blood, the acid blood into napalm. Other <laughs> acid. He was pretty compatible already. Uh, and Kyle, Kyle was such a jerk in this thing. Yeah, yeah. He kind of was. He's like, it's like, listen, buddy. It's like the ring picked me. I didn't pick it. Yeah, I think they. That that was one of the things that bothered me the most. It's like they really wanted to set up the, uh, the young upstart versus the grizzled veteran thing with, with uh Kyle and Salik, and it came up really abruptly and then went away, like that, like snap of the fingers. All of a sudden, they're like, you know what? I was kind of a jerk. Yeah, me too. Sorry, and they were fine. Yeah, well, even it, Salik was like, "It's like you saved my life. You know, thank you for that. I was wrong about you." <sighs> yeah, it, it like it just like they may as well have been fine with each other from the start. You know, if you're gonna take it away that quickly. Mm-hmm. This this really should have been like one big one shot instead of four issues. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'll Except say that, the I, first issue. Yeah, I think it should have been like a two issue thing or like. Maybe three altogether. Three maybe. issues. I can, I can definitely see three issues. You have the first issue with Hal that sets everything up. You have the second issue with Kyle where he loses the ring. And then you have the third issue where he gets the ring back and they solve the problem. I mean, the, the, yeah. the third issue in this series as it was was completely unnecessary. But Jim, you would have to sacrifice such great scenes... Like Kyle, who is physically attracted to a robot, being taught how to fire a gun in a way that's not a metaphor for anything but firing a gun. <laughs> you know, because that's, that's not why that was there or anything. That, that's just firing a gun lessons. Oh, yeah. yeah what you call it? That, <laughs> it reminds me, have you guys ever watched uh, the TV show The New Girl? No. Maybe? What is it? This was Zoe Dashanel. I think 
I think Chad just like perked up wherever he is. <laughs> yeah, he's he's probably seen it, but there's an episode where you know one of the guy roommates is is say, saying to Zoe Deschanel, it's like you know. Any time a guy, like, leans in over a girl to, like, show her how to do something, you know, it's because he's, he's flirting with her and wants to get close to her. It's like, and she's like, no, it's not. And and he's like, yeah, I'm to- totally. So she's, and then he's like, oh, wait, wait, you're, you're drinking out of that mug all wrong. And then he, like, goes in behind her and he's like, look, this is how you have to lift the mug. <laughs> and, she, and she's, like, looking at him and it's like, oh. Yeah, and it's. We see it, it's in everything, basically. It's always, like, like oh, they're teaching her how to shoot, or they're teaching how to play pool right, or how to to, to aim this or that, or something. Yes. Yeah. It's just so, uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's always contrived. It's, it's, uh... I mean, and look, it's, honest to God, it, it is one of those things that loses all of its... It loses everything if you weren't completely surprised by her being a robot. <laughs> yeah. And, like, I honestly, like, the first time I read this, I don't know, I didn't really see the robot thing coming, but when it was revealed, like, I honestly didn't care. Like, it made no difference to me whatsoever that she was actually a robot. I, I mean, like, <laughs> the, the thing that you have to wonder is... Why, you know, why on Earth, why would the aliens take everybody else on the crew and not her? Well, the aliens could probably tell that she wasn't real. Exactly. That's the only reason. (sighs) So, uh, you want to address the fact that Kyle wiped out an entire species in this comic? (laughs) Um... No. <laughs> should, we, should we wait for Corwin? <laughs> we could do that. Alright, let's wait for Corwin. So what you call it? So yeah, so Mark sent me this, and going through uh, a lot of my, uh, what do you call it, you know, boxes and stuff like that, <laughs> I actually came across the uh, Irwin Hansen Alan Scott drawing that I have. <laughs> so I have that displayed on my bookshelf right now. It's awesome, because, like, I never actually realized... Like, I knew that he was an artist on, uh... Was it All-Star Comics? The the Justice Society comics back then? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but he also did a ton of the Alan Scott covers. Nice. Did you get a... You got, um... Did you just get a sketch from another con? I forget, what was it? Yeah, I got it at, uh... The first New York Comic Con. Okay. So I got to meet him. He did the entire thing in marker. Nice. Like, from start to finish. Like, no pencil. i never forget, because, like, there was somebody else sitting next to him, who, to this day, I can never remember who it was, but <laughs> it was, like, another, like, veteran artist. Um, and he's, like, watching him do it. And he was, like, nowhere near as old as Erwin Hansen. But, uh... He's, like, watching him draw from start to finish. He's like, you don't you don't use any pencils or anything like that. You just, you know, you just do it all in marker. He's like, well, yeah. He's like, I've been doing it for so long. He's like, I should probably know how to draw them. <laughs> he's been drawing for, like, he's been drawing for, like, over 60 years. 
that makes sense. <laughs> it's amazing. It was just, it was absolutely amazing. I've never seen anything like that. Post. Maybe you'll see it again at this year's New York Comic Con. Oh. 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 Well, I mean, I got, I just got art from, you know, one of the most uh, historic Green Lantern artists of all time. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I think I think I'm good. <laughs> um, I'm actually I'm I'm planning on getting uh, a commission sometime soon. Anyway, um, you know I've been spending a lot more time on deviant art. Yeah. Um, and I mean, like, I'm just I'm discovering so much like artistic talent that like it's crazy. Like, this is one girl. She's from Italy. And, like, she does these watercolor paintings. You remember Eliza at the... F- I don't know if she was, like, the second... At, at Super Show? Yes. Yeah. I mean, like, you're talking about stuff like that, only, like, more beautiful and more refined. And she's selling her artwork for, like, $10 a, a drawing. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, the only thing is it's from Italy, so you have to pay a little more in shipping and handling. But, hmm. I mean, still, it's... Yeah, I have, like <clears throat> actually have at that super show. I got uh, an Ayalande from her. Yes, from I remember that. Stuff. I wish I wish she would come back and do more art. Hmm. I wish she would do more. You know, come to more super shows again. Yeah, was she only at the one? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, I remember because I actually emailed her the following year to see if she was going to be there. And uh, she wasn't going to be able to afford to go. Hello. What's up? Are you still recording? Yes. I have a public service announcement to make. Oh, please do. (laughs) I don't care what you people have heard as far as... uh, Reviews and whatever, but if you get the chance to ever say, and it's available right now at Stars on Demand, Adam Sandler's jacket jalopy, <laughs> it is so fucking funny. Just fucking watch it. It's so good. I have tears in my eyes. I'm laughing so hard. It's so funny. Alright? So listen to what anybody tells you. Just go watch it. It's so good. Is that the one where he plays himself and his sister? <laughs> yes, it is. Huh. Oh, God. Oh, I can't hear what they're saying. <laughs> <laughs> now I have to watch at least some of this. Just to see what you like. It's so funny. <laughs> it's so, it looks so bad. So, it really does. I told you my brother saw it. He said it was hilarious. I'm telling you, watching it, I'm dying. It is so funny. Funny. Oh. Oh, it's so good. So good. <sighs> oh. Wow. So that was it. Okay. <laughs> so, anyway, um, yeah, so last week or whatever, um, one of uh, the people on my Facebook, um, <clears throat> she posted a link to an artist's Facebook page saying how, um, you know, their, their page isn't getting enough love, so go check out their art. Um, 
it's really amazing art. You know, you definitely should check it out. So, you know, like this is one person that I actually trust their opinion. <laughs> so I go and I check it out, and like, first I start seeing some stuff that you know it looks good. It looks good. And I start scrolling down, and I'm seeing, like, other stuff that's, like, looking better and better. And then I see this one this one piece of art. It's Supergirl. And I think, actually, I reposted it on my Facebook. Supergirl tends to be your weakness for art, doesn't it? Oh. You know, I, I used to have, uh, you know, like, a, a bigger collection of Supergirl art. But, uh, what do you call it? Like, I, I kind of got to the point where I didn't really need any more. Hmm. Um, in fact, now I probably have too much, but... Eh. Yeah, check that link. See if that works for you. Let's see. Oh, it's in the other... Oh, yeah, no, I saw this. Yeah. So that wow. came today. <laughs> nice. Let me tell you, it's like you can't even see all the shading from the picture. Like, that was the picture that I saw, and, like, I was sold on that. But, I mean, like, the actual thing, like, if you see it, it's just, like, the face, it has, like, I don't know, the, sh the shading is just so perfect and amazing. It's incredible. So. Awesome. How big is that? Uh, the size of a comic book backing board. Oh, okay. Is it on a backing board or is it on like... I think so. I think she said it is. It looks kind of large for a backing board, but let's see. Yeah, no, it's the exact size of a backing board. It is a backing board. Nice. That's a cute Supergirl. Ah, Corwin's here. <laughs> yep, sorry about that. I thought she'd call me before she came up the stairs, but she just came knocking on the door. That's all right. We forgive you. This time. <laughs> Who's this? Uh, her name is Tess Fowler. Mm. Um, yeah, I pimped her artwork last episode, which will be going up tonight. Um, but I picked up that Supergirl... Uh, on Etsy, her Etsy site. Does she do any lantern stuff? Well, yeah, she'll she'll actually. Uh, oh, anything you want. So yeah, so um, yeah, she takes commissions and stuff like that. She's actually going to be at uh, San Diego Comic Con. Um, but oh man, yeah, like that Supergirl. Like, I uh, I just got that today, and I was telling Dan how like, um, this is actually her first piece that she's done in watercolor. Um, not that start. Yeah, it's it, it's amazing. It, like the shading that you don't see in that photo, it just it is incredible. Um, I, I actually contacted her about doing one of the lanterns as uh, you know Princess Disney Princesses as lantern. <laughs> so she's definitely on board for that. Yes. All right. So. <clears throat> I guess on the subject of Kyle wiping out a race. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. What the? <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Sit down. 
<laughs> he heard somebody in the hallway or something, so of course he's got to be the big old bad guard dog, and he's only a little 20-pound Shih Tzu Palmy mix. I can hear him being adorable. <laughs> you can hear that. He's like... Like, you can hear him panting with a smile on his face. Oh, God, yeah. Like, I'm adorable. <laughs> That's not frown panting. Frown panting sounds different. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Where were we? Uh, talking Kyle, about... Kyle destroyed an entire race with a wave of his hand. Yes. And that's a good way of putting it, because I think that's ultimately what this whole story is about. Making Kyle murder. No. <laughs> this, look, alright. Pulling back the curtain a little more, the first time I read this was in trade form. And I found it back in, like, 2001 or 3 or something in a Barnes & Noble. And I thought... Oh man, Green Lantern fighting alien that like I, I came to this probably for the same reason most people did. I thought that would be a cool fight. All right. So when I read it, I read it cover to cover, finished it, hated it because it just 100% was not an entertaining fight at all and never revisited it until we had to read it for this show. And like that, and that, at the same, like, I think the biggest strength about this story is also its biggest weakness, because, you know, you come to it for one kind of story, but what you get is something different, and what this is, is a story about morals and ethics, and what that means from one generation to another. And taken just as that, this is a pretty good story, I think. You know, it, it's completely, almost, I won't say bait and switch, but it's not what you come to a story like this looking for. But, like, the entire point of that whole that whole ending is, like, is, you know, can you afford to, to take the route Kyle wanted to take? Since Hal did take that route back when it was, things were simpler, and all it did was <laughs> set, basically leave a death trap for people to fall into a generation later. You know... Like, what is it, Crow's dying words were something like, you know, your predecessor did what you're trying to do, and look what happened. You know, who's going to have to clean up after you if you don't do this? <laughs> yep. Ugh. I don't know, I, I think I felt like this could have been bigger. I mean, they, they really had no limit to what they wanted to do with this story. I mean, Ron Mars, I expected it to just be great and it was just disappointing honestly i mean yes what you said is kind of it's an interesting twist i could understand i could see how his editors would approve the pitch from what he said you know from the the bare bones of it like you're saying there but the execution just it just fell short for me <laughs> execution <laughs> um yeah i mean realistically what comes like you could replace the aliens with any other generic alien race, and this story would have been exactly the same kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which, really sick. Because, I mean, they made a conscious effort to get as much of the classic alien stuff in there as they could. Um, almost to a point of, you know, tripping over themselves. Like, 
needing to make Crow a robot. But yeah, you know, I don't know. Like, what I mean, like, I'm go ahead. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> no, the the only thing that I thought was like like a missed opportunity is that the the idea behind the aliens is that uh, they take on traits from their host. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I mean, obviously, a Green Lantern doesn't internalize the Green Lantern energy. Um, but, you know, if you're talking about, like, this tiny little miniseries where you can really do whatever you want because it's not going to be in the bounds of continuity, like, you could have had that alien burst out of the chest, like, glowing green, you know, or at the very least, like, you know, show them to have stronger willpower or something like that than (laughs) other aliens or something like that. Like, maybe instead of the ring slipping off of Kyle's finger, the alien, like, is wrestling control away from him. That would have been amazing. Like, that would have been... First off, that would be an epic story. And, like, if you were doing things like that, if you were playing with concepts like that, then you could actually probably bump this up to a six-issue miniseries. And you'd still have interesting things going on in each issue. Yeah, you know, I'll go. So I like I just made a case that you didn't really need the aliens from Aliens for this story to work. I would go so far as to say you don't need Green Lanterns to make this story to work. True. Like the story they were trying to tell, you could you could use any generic alien race and any generic ragtag group of explorers, and it would as long as they have like a spaceship or something. Like you could use a cast of Firefly for this story if you really wanted to. It doesn't matter. <laughs> So, you could really so you could use any any alien, and you can use any story. Any alien with any human protagonists you could possibly come up with, like completely generic character. Like, I mean, it's it's a cool idea, and it, like of all the intercompany crossovers, Green Lanterns fighting these creatures makes sense, and I totally buy that. Okay, you know what? The universe is huge. They just haven't run into each other yet. Why not? It's never going to come up again. We don't need any better reason than that. But it, they just didn't really, they didn't really do anything with it. And, and they could have even varied the aliens. That willpower thing was a great idea. But I'm talking even simple cosmetic things, wings, or, or, or just a little something else. Well, yeah, that like that's another thing. It could have burst out of the chest of a Green Lantern. That you know had some sort of like other characteristics, like I mean, like uh, was it like um, Zalia Zed's race, the giant Zalia heads, Zed's head, <laughs> yeah, you know, like, <laughs> something like that. Or, like you have so many aliens that are such distinct shapes and creatures, and this thing pops right out of a humanoid. So it's just like, oh, okay, that's completely boring. Yeah, yeah, I think that comes down to the whole like. You want to see the creature that you know, you know, that's like part, like they're on the, they're as much of the marquee as the lantern is here. Yeah, but Uh, I mean, you would have seen them anyway. It just would have been nice to see a variety. And and also, like, you know, by giving them a slight advantage, it makes them, you know, an even bigger threat. But Jim, I think you're overlooking one big detail here. All of this extra plot stuff, that would have taken page time, and we needed to give that to this love story. 
<laughs> prioritize, man. Prioritize. Yeah. Now, well, I gotta say, the, the cover for this fourth issue is probably my favorite out of all of them. Yeah, the covers are pretty good. <clears throat> yeah, but the, the covers were all done by somebody else. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah let's talk about the art here, because they're... <clears throat> overall, like, there's some stuff in here I really do like. Like, I love, I like that, uh, the opening page of Kyle's artwork when he's doing, like, the pinup poster or whatever. Of, like, the Mars Attacks kind of thing. I mm-hmm. love that, I love that full page shot of him charging his battery. Um, <clears throat> the page before that, when Tomar's talking to him, they do the thing where, like, the word bubble is the, like, the flashback panel. I love, I love low visual tricks like that. Like, there's, there's just, like, some real, like, I love that page where the ring's trying to escape the super goo. Like, there's little, there's little things throughout this entire story that I think look really, really good. But my biggest complaint is that, you know, this is a story, this is, like, a story with the aliens in it that's trying to mirror kind of the, some of the horror elements of the alien movies, and there's absolutely nothing scary or moody whatsoever about this artwork. Makes you wonder if there was any kind of hand in it by Dark Horse or or Fox or whoever has the license if they, you know, made it hard for them to make this story. Yeah, that might be a big... Yeah, that's the only thing that I was thinking about as far as not having any Green Lantern-specific variations. Um... Yeah, because, I mean, like, you might want to, like, not have to worry about any kind of licensing issues or whatever, stuff like that. Um, that's the only thing I can think of. <laughs> I mean, like, when that chest burster comes out at the very beginning of all this, like, it looks stupid. It looks, like, super <laughs> cartoony and stupid. And, like, when, like, when him and, when uh, Kyle, Salak, and Crow are going down that tunnel together towards the end. You see all those aliens rushing towards them down the tunnel. It's like, oh, well, there's that. It doesn't, like, like, that could have looked, like, it could look scary, it could look gross, it could look any, like, they, they just didn't, I don't know, it's, it's, it felt like such a waste opportunity. I mean, like, when you look at the beginning of issue three, the one where Kyle's like, it's gone, my ring's gone, like, Mm -hmm. Like, you start to see them actually play with, like, dramatic lighting coming from the only light source in the room, which is the bottom of the pit. And, like, all every, they're playing with, like, the heavy blacks and, like, the bottom lit stuff. And it, it actually, like, it's actually starting to have, like, a visual impact on the storytelling a little bit. And then that just goes away again. It's like, why aren't you doing this the whole time? Like, you, you could have made this almost look a little more like, not look like a horror movie, but look a little less generic, I guess. More more dramatic effects. Yeah, and I mean, if they had been playing it that way the whole time, imagine, like, how much different that visual would have been of Kyle just incinerating them with his light at the very end, where all of a sudden you go from this dark pit of, like, death and despair to brightly lit green, and he's just elevated above them. Like, it would have... Ugh. It's frustrating. Well, I mean, the thing is, like, we're we're reading Green Lantern versus Aliens. We're not reading Aliens versus Green Lantern. You know, it's like 
This is first and foremost a Green Lantern story where he has to fight aliens. It's not an alien story that guest stars Green Lantern. Yeah, but you and I, we have been reading in at least, no, not even just in Green Lantern Corps, but especially in Green Lantern Corps, like, everything from the start of this show up until the the relaunch has been super dark and horror-filled, and they, like, all, like, the moodiness and the artwork, like, like they've been doing the kind of stuff this this story needed in contemporary comics. Right, but... This is written by Ron Mars. Yeah. Who is traditionally, you know, more superhero-y based. Yeah. I mean, maybe he's, you know, branched out and is doing different (laughs) stuff with uh, Witchblade, you know, and stuff over at Top Cow and, you know, that sort of thing. But, I mean, you know, he's he's definitely more superhero-y. Um... And if you're doing a Green Lantern comic that's superhero-y, you know, where he's got to go up against the alien menace, then, yeah, okay, it could definitely be darker, but by the same token, this is a superhero comic. Yeah, I would describe the current Hal Jordan book the same way, and that's plenty dark, that's plenty... I keep saying moody, and it gets, I'm going to keep saying moody, but, like... I mean, and, you know, if 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 the script or the art isn't calling for the kind of tonality that the the story really needs, then that's when an editor is supposed to come in and say, okay, um, let's let's do this slightly different over here. Well, in that case, you can uh, you can talk to Phil Amara and Bob Shrek. <laughs> oh, I will. Shrek. I'll be like, all right, listen, Bob Shrek. I have a bone to pick with you about something that happened 12 years ago. <laughs> now let's go. Uh, I don't know. Corwin, you're the biggest Aliens fan ever. Are you Are you happy you had to read this? Do you hate us now? <laughs> no, I don't, I'm glad I've read it because I've been wanting to read it, but I, I will say I, I am disappointed with it. I expected something more grandeur. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean... I think it wasn't... It's not bad. Um, I think the first issue is is good for the most part, and the remaining three issues, while I think it's longer than it needs to be, I think the you know issue three is kind of just like filler. Um, I mean, the rest of it, it, you know, it tells a decent story. I mean, this is, you know, for the most part, how... I mean, if you took out issue three then this is basically what it would be like if a Green Lantern goes up against aliens. Yeah. Um, you know, especially if he doesn't lose his damn ring. <laughs> cut, out, cut, out, cut out the whole point where he loses his ring, and this is a pretty realistic Green Lantern versus aliens comic. Happened so many times around this point, I can't even believe it. Exactly. <laughs> um, and, you know, except, except somehow one survived. I, I can't explain it, but one survived somehow, and it became a Red Lantern. Um, yeah, maybe we'll get a tell of the core for his story. <laughs> that would be so awesome. That I would love. It's like, Got yeah, you? that Kyle Rayner wiped out my entire race in one wave of his hand while I was going to pick berries for everybody. Oh, oh yeah, the berries. <laughs> the berry bushes on the other side of Mogo. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
God, you know, I I was I was hanging out with people today talking about comics or whatever. <laughs> you know, I said to them because we were talking about the Lantern books a little bit. I said, man, I we were talking about Red Lantern specifically. And I said, man, I wish that either DC would cancel this book or our show would tank, so I would have to stop buying it. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> God. So I'm, I'm, I'm just going to sabotage our show from here on out, so that I don't have to buy Red Lanterns anymore. Well, you, you, you haven't caught up, but I, I definitely think it's getting better. All right. Slowly. Yeah, what'd you call it? Um, I, haven't, I haven't read number 10 completely, but I, I was just kind of skimming it, and... From what I from what I saw, I was I was extremely impressed. Really? Yeah, they have a clear purpose. And even Eleven came out yesterday, so they have a clear purpose and clear direction with the book now, and it's it's definitely better. Is it still written by the same guy? <laughs> <laughs> I believe so. Wow. Um, is uh, is number eleven? Who's eleven drawn by, Corwin? Uh, good question. Let me see. Is it the same guy as number ten? Should Spies. Miguel Sepulveda. Yep. Yep. We found it at the same time. Yes. yes. Pretty awesome cover by Ed Benes, though. Fatality and Bleas. Oh, yes. Ah, uh, yeah, the cover Chad loves. <laughs> that's the kind of cover you want to see uh, Benes on. And still Peter Milligan. Alright, well. Okay. I think I'm going to rip off Corwin's show completely and give this this whole story two surprised crowbots. Two <laughs> surprised crowbots. I, I don't know what that means. That's alright. <laughs> just pick just pick a lone number and say something that happened in the issue. Um I mean going by our um our traditional ratings I would give this uh, a high borrow. See, I can't do that because I've lent it to people and they've got mad at me. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I mean, it's it has a certain like curiosity element. You know, like if you say that there's a Green Lantern versus Aliens comic. If somebody's a fan of either Green Lanterns or... Actually, if you're a fan of Green Lanterns and Aliens, honestly, you need to be a fan of both. Um, <laughs> then this is definitely worth reading solely for the curiosity factor. Oh, you know, it's got a great concept. Agreed. What do you think, Corwin? I, I give it a low borrow, and like Jim said, if you're a fan of the franchises, then it's something to check out, but don't mm. expect any big surprises. Yeah. Yeah, and if you're just a fan of Green Lantern, then, like, after this is all over, none of it means anything. So you could really, this is one that you can hands down skip and not miss a damn thing. Mm-hmm. Except for Kyle kissing a robot. Yes. And yeah. then asking oh. her not to shoot him. And, and also sm- smelling her, smelling the robot. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hey, that's another... <coughs> after shave. <laughs> No, Kyle has another dead girlfriend. Oh, well. I don't know if I'd say girlfriend. He can't even flirt with someone without them dying horrifically. You know, the sad part is, she's a robot, 
and like he didn't even give two seconds of thought to like trying to rebuild her or put her back together or fix her or anything. <laughs> it just like up oh, she's completely dead. Time to move on. You think by the time the core was back and they started rebuilding Stell every three days, he's like shit. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I could have had a girlfriend. And I could just rebuild her every time she dies. <laughs> uh, so should we talk about Prometheus? Oof. Sure. Let now let me, let me... Let me lead, off, lead this discussion off with a question that well, shouldn't be a hard question. We should probably say spoilers. Spoilers. Spoilers, spoilers for, for Prometheus. Prometheus. Yes, if you haven't seen the movie and you care about seeing the movie, just turn this off and come back later. Um, I think Chad wants to do a Larfley's report later also, so... I thought he didn't have it. He's going to do it live. Oh, he's coming on? Okay. Yes, to do it live. All right, come back after... what? Whatever, spoilers. Yeah, come back when we're done talking about Prometheus. <laughs> yeah, you'll know. You'll know in your heart. Um, <laughs> all right, so let's... I want to start this discussion with a question that shouldn't be that hard of a question, but I feel like it kind of is. Did you guys like it? Yes. Yes. I think I did? There's a, there is a, there is a but in there as well. Uh-huh. Um, it really <laughs> depends on what you came into the movie expecting. Hmm. That is the largest part of it. If you if you if you're going in there expecting the true prequel to Alien and you think you're going to get answers and everything, then I could understand you feeling disappointed because it took me I had to really think about it before I got over that. Oh. Is that what you expect wanted going in? Yes, particularly just wanted answers, but you know by the end of this thing they're just building another franchise altogether and they, they just set it up for more sequels and left you hanging with certain things that. They should have answered, in my opinion. From what I have read, um, they they wrote this movie, and like by the time they got done with it, they said, it's like, okay, well, we definitely have another Prometheus story to tell. Um, but that one would take it even farther away from the Alien franchise. You would need <laughs> another movie to bridge the, the gap between Prometheus and Alien to actually have a prequel. <clears throat> but... That said, you know, Prometheus, it does set things up. So, like, you see you see the origins of where they're going. Um, and, and I mean, I, I went into it thinking that it was going to be something of a prequel, although, you know, he, Ridley Scott denied the fact that it was a prequel over and over again. And mm-hmm. so, like, you had to go into, go into it thinking, it's like, okay, well... You know there's going to be a connection. How deep the connection runs is the thing that you know you have to wait and see. I, I was very happy to see you know as much as I did, honestly. Yeah, and I went into this like I have no huge connection or history with the Aliens franchise. So like when when Corwin, when you start posting like the extended trailers and stuff on the forum, I got excited to see this movie which I probably would have otherwise skipped because I saw those trailers and I was like, this looks like a cool sci-fi movie. I, w- I would like to see that. So, like, I would have been perfectly happy if it was just, like, 
some sci-fi movie that just happened to be set in the Alien universe, and it wasn't a prequel at all. But I understand that people would have been pissed probably by that. I mean, but, essentially, it, it kind of, quote-unquote, kind of is. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. My thing, like, it's weird. Like, I, I would definitely see the movie again, but I at no point while watching it felt any sense of danger or urgency for anybody. If that oh, makes any sense. <laughs> no. Come on now. The well, let, He felt no danger or urgency for any of the characters in the movie. Oh or anything God. that was happening. None. I, I'm going to have to disagree with that, but are we, how are we going to, are we going to recap the movie and then talk about it? Or are we just going to talk about it straight up? Well, we're basically just talking about it. Although, okay. Although, ironically so, enough, we haven't used any spoilers just yet. Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> Everyone dies. There we go. Come on now. The C-section, you weren't on the edge of your seat with that whole sequence? Nah, I mean, I felt like she was pretty safe, you know? <laughs> no, because, like, everyone... No, look, every one of these movies has, has like, the female protagonist that always makes it to the end kind of thing. So I didn't really think that she... And we were following her through the whole movie, so I didn't really feel like we were going to lose her at this point, you know? Oh, I, I, I thought that everybody was fair game. Because yeah. I mean, this—it's not—it's not an aliens movie. This this could have gone in any direction that they wanted. You know, like they could have been playing that up to you know to play <laughs> on the fact that we were expecting a female to live, and then completely you know dash our expectations, mm-hmm. and it turns yeah. out it's the captain that lives or something like that. Yeah. Well, the problem with that is that she was really the only. Like, by that point, she was really the only main character that was left alive that was actually a fleshed-out character. Like, the captain, as much as I liked him, he was basically just there to stand on the ship and say a line every now and then. Like, he was just sort of there, you know? Like, if you t- you take her out that early... Like, I don't even remember how far into the movie it happens. It's close to the end, but, like... Like, if you take her out, then we have no POV character left for the last, like, half hour, 45 minutes of the movie. You you had Charlize Theron, or however you pronounce her name. Yeah. Yeah. She could have she could have survived, and she could have been the center by the end of the movie. Or yeah. the boyfriend could have come back. You, you have no idea. Like, there's a million ways that they could have, could have gone with the different plots. Yeah. So, um... I'm just a little bit concerned that the listeners are completely in the dark with this since if they haven't seen the movie. <laughs> uh, go ahead. Tell them about it. Tell them about it. Yeah, yeah. All right. I'll do a really quick recap. So the movie starts out – well, here – this is this is a good part to start anyway. The beginning of the movie. We see a planet with water. These blue-tinted, skin-white aliens land. He takes off his robe, puts some stuff – swallows some stuff – all of a sudden, his DNA, we see inside of his body, his DNA starts to break down. He literally falls apart and falls into a river, and they show his DNA breaking down, and then suddenly we see cells forming. So, in my mind, this was the beginning of life on Earth. Is that what you guys got from it? I didn't... Like, I... After the fact, I heard somebody say that that might be Earth. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. Because I was assuming that was, like, the world that the place, that the whole movie took place on. (laughs) 
And like, because like I was thinking, I came into it thinking like everybody else, like how is this going to be connected to the aliens? So I thought like, like this was setting up like the primordial ooze of that alien world or something, you know? Okay, because a lot of people I talked to didn't get that, and for some reason, it just made sense to me. But yes, yeah, that's that how was, the movie starts. That was the the first time that they came to Earth. Yeah. Right. Now you guys say it, it makes sense. Now, some ten thousand million years later, now billion. Our, it was like twenty. Was it twenty seventy five or something like that? Um, yeah, it was about. Well, like, they they put life on Earth like uh, well, billions, however many billions of years ago. No, not not billions of years ago because, like, well, the thing that we don't know is that did they put like all life on Earth? Or did they just put humans here? Well, all life. Supposedly we all, we've all evolved from the same source, quote-unquote, is what the theory, ongoing theory is, the first single-celled organism. So supposedly we have all evolved from the same thing. Well, he means, like, were there plants and animals and stuff? Like, is, is, is that where all, all life all, all. came from? Okay. Yeah. All, all. Um, In my eyes, all, all. Then, yeah, so then they show up um what was it uh 2085 i think that's 2185 yeah. 20, yeah so we skip to like 20 2085 or yeah, 2185 and archaeologists discover some cave in the mountains and in the cave there is a symbol on the wall um that matches up with different societies throughout mankind's history so obviously there's something similar going on throughout mankind's history and they come to realize that their clues to leave a map to a certain star system so four or five years later the archaeologists and a whole other crew follow this map go to this alien world where they try to find the source of you know uh, the creators of mankind basically they uh find some kind of dome they enter the dome <sighs> craziness happens and of course, one of their crew is a robot with David, which we'll get more into in a little bit. Oh, yes, um, we will. <laughs> and David is actually there following orders from the person who financed this whole mission, um, the head of Wayland Corporation, right? And his daughter, Charlie Theron, is kind of the, the person running this whole mission because, of course, they provided all the money. So they go in. They, of course discover uh, some stuff left by the ancient alien race, some goo. Things go crazy from there. Uh, we come to find out that Waylon is still alive and he wants to meet, you know, mankind's maker to see if they can basically restore his youth because he's like, what, ancient, crippling, falling apart, basically. Um, they meet the alien. The alien's not quite pleased and he tries to slaughter everybody. Um, and then one person, one scientist who discovered the archaeological stuff at the beginning. She's the only one to survive, and she leaves the planet at the end to go to the homeworld of this old, uh, these alien beings that seeded life on Earth. Because she wants to find out, like, they, they can tell that the, um, this, this planet where they were, it was designed... To it was like a like a weapons factory almost. Yes, um, yes. To store their biological weapons, which 
which is the very source of the next movie and as well as what pisses me off the most why we don't get the answers for the aliens we don't know why why did they decide they wanted to wipe us out because that's what originally the plan was they were supposed to come back to earth to let loose this biological weapon and kill all life on the planet well but okay so well i I know i know i know what it is you know why you were there for the conference call well what you go like i i was doing a lot of research on this like immediately after the you know the movie like i start going on and seeing if anybody else came up with you know answers and what you call it the they give away like a key piece of information as far as the fact that this outbreak happened 2000 years prior you know roughly 2000 years prior to the humans getting there um that's when all Mm -hmm. hell broke loose and the aliens were killed off by their creations, um, and like the the planet they were set to go to was Earth to wipe us out. Um, but two thousand years ago, you know, that's when the outbreak happened, and they could not complete their mission. Uh-huh. So you think about it: what happened two thousand years ago? What are you talking about? The, the crucifixion of Christ and all that? Yes, the beginning. Yes, <laughs> the murder of Christ. And what was Christ? Christ was a miraculous being that you know could do things that other norm, you know, other humans couldn't. Now you have these engineers who look basically human. They're a little taller, but they, you know, they're incredibly more advanced, and they can do, they could, you know, theoretically perform what old, you know, what a less advanced you know, people would consider miracles. So most likely what ended up happening was one of these engineers came to Earth and the humans of the time, you know, killed him. And so the rest of the engineers said, okay, well, now we're going to wipe them out. That's probably why they wanted to destroy the race. I guess that makes sense. It seems, I don't want to say forced, but... For such a hugely science, well, okay, let's let's be honest. There's a whole bunch of religious tones to this to this movie throughout. There's totally blatant religious tones to everything, even with uh, the the scientist chick that survives in her cross that she you know she holds dear. Her face. So yeah, so I, I guess it makes sense, but I don't know. Yeah. I was assuming there'd be something more to it for them to actually stockpile and create all these biological weapons well they probably you know have tons of other civilizations and races out there that they keep these you know weapons around in case they ever do have to take them out if they you know become malignant to the rest of the universe or whatever true yeah well well, another thing to think about is the fact that we know very little about the this alien race, which I don't even remember, we said they're the spa- basically the space jockeys from like the big yes. chair in the alien oh, movie. I love that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like we don't know, we still know next to nothing about them. Period. So like, for all you know, like like honestly, one of the things I thought was like, okay, maybe like if that was like a weapons manufacturing plant or whatever, like maybe they they like. 
seed worlds. They made like they could think like really long term with this and like seed worlds with life for the purpose of developing new weapons and testing them on fully populated worlds to know whether or not they're viable for use or for sale or whatever they use those weapons for. Like like they could have they could have engineered the human race knowing that okay in a somewhere down the line we're gonna develop some kind of new weapon that we're gonna want to test on these people so well, we're gonna have them be there <laughs> that's true but that's that that kind of makes them petty and in, humanizing them like they're kind of us when supposedly they're more advanced more civilized quote unquote than we are but <laughs> I, that makes sense too i mean that yeah that could be the case but if you look at the comparisons that they were making between, you know, the humans creating David and, you know, uh, Wayland was very, um, uh, what was the term? He, he definitely, like, you knew that he cared about David, mm-hmm. you know, because he said, he's like, he's the son that I'll never have. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, well, Dave, uh, David also represented some like the antithesis of Whalen's problems. David will never age. He'll never die. Like, like Whalen was going to die of old age. That is what this, the thrust of this entire story was about. Like he wanted to avoid that. And he built himself a son that that would never, ever happen to. So of course he's going to like look at David kind of favorably. Right. Pinocchio. So yeah. yeah, exactly. So when you have this thing that you've created, and you know you do look upon it favorably because you you're responsible for it. You're responsible for its creation. <laughs> and they're making the parallels that you know the the engineers created the human race, and you know like they had been here to visit numerous times, which mm-hmm. is how the different um, eras the different eras you know all had the same symbol. So you know they had come back to visit, and then seemingly the last time that they, you know, well, the time that they decided that they wanted to wipe us out was 2,000 years ago because, you know, and all of a sudden they realize, oh, well, we have to wipe them out. Well, you know, the thing that would cause you to want to wipe out your own creation is because all of a sudden now they're trying to destroy their creators, um, which would be the crucifixion. Um, now, now, look, the whole space Jesus thing, is that something that fans came up with or something that somebody who worked on the movie leaked out? Or Where, where are you getting that from? Well, I mean, that's, it's, um, what do you call it? It's hypothesized. It's not fact. But they do very clearly point out that the, the uh, you know, the engineers were mobilizing 2,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. and. The planet that they were going to was very clearly Earth. Earth. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I just I think the like based on the information we got in this movie, jumping to the conclusion that well one of them was was literally Jesus. Like that that just sounds so incredibly stupid. Maybe maybe not one of them, but maybe they had something to do with the immaculate conception. Oh, yeah. That, that's yeah. That could be it. That maybe they like spurred on the advancement of the human race 
to the point that, you know, the, the Christ figure was the next step in human evolution, and they're, like, stepping back to watch and see what happens, and, you know, humans rebelled, and they didn't want this... It was an allegory for the X-Men. I like it. Uh, this, yeah, that, this, that you buy. That you buy, but you don't buy the fact that Jesus no, I don't. was an alien. No, I don't buy it. Look, this is... This is I would this th- you know, I would think that you, of all people, would appreciate the fact that Jesus was an alien. And no, that listen, it would I'm... give it a nice little, clean little explanation. No, look. My, this, this, this whole conversation we're having right now is... Just underlines and highlights and circles and puts in italics and bold. The whole, like, my biggest problem with this movie is that this is definitely one of those movies where you can, like, there's a lot to think about once you start talking to people about it. Mm-hmm. But, like, like I watched this movie, right? I, I, I really, I'm really not sure if I buy that that's supposed to be intentional. You know, like, I feel like, like, yeah, you like I've had conversations with people about this movie, and some really interesting stuff has come up, and, like, I never, like, like everything we've said on this call has never crossed my mind or the mind of anyone else I've talked to about it, and I think that's really interesting. That's really cool. I, I think, but I, at the same time, I think... That's entirely us. That's entirely the viewers just plugging our own shit into it. I well, don't, I don't buy for a second that that's what like the the filmmakers wanted us to think. The other thing is that Ridley Scott has gone on record as saying that the next film would deal with her going to paradise, meaning the place that these engineers are from. And he very clearly refers to it as paradise. And he says, he's like, you know, but once you go to paradise, you know, things are not always what they seem. You know, there's always something sinister lurking in paradise. Oh, like a snake? Oh, my God. Well, no, but that, like, that's, that's exactly how he put it, though. He referred to their home planet as paradise. And, you know, I mean, like, you, you can't discount you know, the, the connections between Paradise and 2,000 years ago and the Christ figure. It's like... <clears throat> although I do like Corwin's idea that they were responsible for the Immaculate Conception. Hmm. I mean, that's the closest thing I can... That, it, that would make sense to me. But that was the biggest hole that this movie left you with at the end. That there's no concrete why... I mean, even when the alien woke up and he looked at man, he looked at people there, and what did he what, is, what did he do? He just started slaughtering people left and right. <laughs> and I, I got a laugh too because I love the fact of how the scientist she just she just took off when when the shit hit the fan. She didn't even wait around; she just took off. But well, honestly, um, the the biggest question I had at the end of this movie had nothing to do with this and nothing to do with the engineers. It was well, what was what the hell was David trying to do? Now, that is an interesting thing because, I, once again, we've had conversations about this with other people. At the very beginning of the movie, <clears throat> David is wandering around the ship while everybody is in their cryogenic sleep since, you know, the travel is going faster than light and whatever. Mind can't, people can't survive or whatever it is, whatever reasoning yeah. there is. While people are sleeping, or at least while – what is her name? What is it? 
what is Doctor's name? Uh, the main character. Oh, damn it. I don't remember. Mm, rep, um, uh, Shaw. Shaw. Pretty certain it's Shaw. Look it up. At the beginning of the movie, we see that David is actually looking at her dreams. So one of the main questions I had was, did David have a thing for her? Because we didn't see him looking at anybody else's dreams. We didn't even get any kind of hint that he looked at anybody else's dreams. So if it was just her dreams that he was watching, I could understand how he hated her boyfriend and how he set her up, how he set him up. Because <laughs> that you got to admit, that was pretty d devious how he acts as scientists. Like, well, you know, what would you do to get the answers? You know, how far would you go? Yeah, and answer the question not quite knowing Dave was going to infect him with whatever the stuff that he found was. Yeah, uh, and you got it right. It's Elizabeth Shaw. Shaw. Because I was I looked at that because like this was still like I was trying to figure out as the movie went like what the end game was like <clears throat> like and part of me was thinking like okay you know what it's been a plot in the Alien movies before that you know the big corporation knows those creatures are out there and wants to bring them back and sell them as weapons or whatever. So maybe there's something like that going on. Maybe, like, the, the big bad company knows more than we think, and they're trying to create a biological killing machine or something. Like, because it seems like Dave, everything David did was on purpose, you know? Like, he he saw that, that oozing pillar, and he smuggled it back, and he, like... It, it, it looked like he knew... It, it almost looked like he expected what happened to happen. You know, he drugged the guy with the stuff. Then it's like he... When he was examining Elizabeth's, like, surprise baby, he's like... He's like, he seemed to... He, like, he immediately wanted to get her into cry, uh, cryo-sleep as soon as possible to transport her back to Earth. It's like... Like, it looked like he wanted to set this up so that some kind of weird alien thing would be born. Well, he wanted to, he wanted to study it, naturally. I mean... <laughs> And even when, okay, well, so he infects her boyfriend, they end up sleeping together, she's supposed to be barren, and she ends up getting pregnant. Now, this is what I don't believe where, Dan, you just saying that you didn't feel she was in danger. That whole scene where she was trying to run to the surgery room to have the machine do the C-section and take whatever out, take whatever that thing was inside of her out... Mm -hmm. You weren't on edge when the laser was cutting through her belly and, I mean, just the whole surgery and... No, not really. I mean, they, they said, I mean, like, an hour before, they set up the fact that, oh, yeah, by the way, we have this magic surgery machine. It's, like, the greatest one ever. They only made seven of them, and here it is. Yes, but just even her going through that pain and that suffering that she had to go through, you didn't, like, cringe when she was getting cut open and the thing was pulled out of her and... Maybe it was uh, just me putting myself in her place and imagine getting sliced open like that and yeah, I mean stapled and I mean like it's I definitely like was kind of worried for her after the fact because she never got the chance to recover and had to go do all this other stuff and I don't know maybe it's it, honestly around the same time like a little bit after this or maybe it was, I forget when I saw Prometheus but around the same time. A friend of mine actually had a C-section, so I might have been like kind of desensitized to the to the well, danger of the operation kind of thing. I saw my wife get hers live, so but still, oof, that part had me on edge. Did they use the Did they use the big staple gun? <laughs> no, there was no staple gun. 
This movie had a staple gun. Wait, was there a staple? Oh. <laughs> they used a laser to seal her up. Your wife? Yeah. Wow. How come Prometheus kind of... technology hasn't caught up to us? <laughs> <laughs> they used some kind of laser to seal her back up, but I mean... That scene was intense. I, I do think that once the actual killing started, it kind of went a little bit too fast, where they just started picking people off, even though they were background characters we knew nothing about on top of that. How about the random zombie fight? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that was kind of like, eh. Yeah. But. I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I would def- I'm definitely going to. I saw it twice. I'm definitely going to pick it up on Blu-ray when it comes out again. I'll be definitely watching it again. And the director's cut or maybe the cut scenes, I'm really looking forward to. Um, I know one scene they did cut was actually at the beginning of the movie. There's supposed to be more aliens, like older, elder aliens with that one as he unrolled and took the stuff to seed the planet and stuff. So they got some interesting deleted scenes that I'm looking forward to seeing as well. Yeah. <clears throat> and they have... And you guys said they have confirmed there's going to be a sequel, though? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. All right. yeah. I'm actually kind of disappointed in that, because, like, I kind of liked the idea of this as a standalone... Like, yeah, connected to the franchise, whatever, but I kind of liked it, the idea of this as a standalone movie, because of, like, just so... Like, so much of the point of this story was, like, was going out and trying to find the answers, whether you think you'll like them or not well even it being standalone the the ending just the not getting that concrete answer or or, you know the why that kind of that kind of eats at me more than anything yeah that's that's how i mean uh, i don't know i don't even know how how, i mean the Go ahead, go ahead. It's too it's too loose of an interpretation. It's just way too loose. They give you the puzzle pieces and no picture. Yeah, but at the same time, they were asking que- like the questions they were asking, the questions they were looking for answers for is are questions like what is the meaning of life and where did we all come from? Oof. Like like that's not those aren't like questions I really expected them to give us concrete answers to, you know? So like at the end of the day, they took a leap of faith, rolled the dice, whatever you want to say, and ended up, they came out of it with nothing except a lot of pain and heartache and loss. And, I, I, what, did, and what did she do? Instead of like, letting that cripple her, she decided, you know what, I'm going to keep looking. And they sailed off to keep looking. So I thought that was actually a pretty good ending for the and, story. And you know what, even speaking with, with Jim now and, and the reasoning why they wanted to wipe us out, I think that conclusion is actually good enough for me. Now that I have that, it's actually good enough for me to say, okay, even if they didn't, even if they didn't make another one, I think that's kind of a good enough answer f- to settle it. I'm not as upset with the ending now that we put it together like that. Mm-hmm. Mm. But let's go ahead and um, touch into how this ties into the Alien franchise because, as we mentioned, Shaw was impregnated and went into the machine to do this surgery to take this thing out, which looked like basically like an octopus, I guess you can say. Yeah, it looked like a regular Earth octopus. (laughs) A little pink, purple, or whatever octopus. So, you know, you kind of forget about that. And then at the end of the movie, when she's trying to... uh, get supplies and air and stuff she goes back to this pod 
and her little baby is this huge it was basically a man sized face hugger if you really want to yeah. get yeah. technical with it. And it actually captures one of the engineers and plants an embryo in it and at the end of the movie the embryo hatches and it's kinda like one of the first quote unquote aliens that we that we know and love. I like the fact that it didn't look exactly like the aliens we are used to seeing because right. yeah, they they would have to because I have no idea what year the original alien movie takes place in but if these things change based on what they hatch out of and they were going to be alive for however many years or generations then they're they're not they shouldn't look exactly the same right off the bat agreed agreed and and there we have the similarities as well between this movie and the first alien movie just because what I really loved, especially, is when the engineer got into the cockpit to pilot the spaceship. Yeah. And you see the mask come on him, and it's exactly the space jockey that we've seen in the first Alien movie. Mm-hmm. It's the same cockpit, the same everything. And what we thought was the alien was actually his bio armor, however you want to put it. Yeah. <laughs> which was pretty awesome. And it, and it put that puzzle there, because in the first Alien movie... It's exactly one of those ships that they find. The ship that he tried to take off at the end of the movie is exactly what the Nostromo runs across. Except instead of those pillars, those little pillars in there, it's the alien eggs. So the similarities are there and the answers are there. So, you know, I was satisfied with that. Is the ship shaped? Well, is yes. the ship shaped like a like a letter C yeah, in the exactly first alien movie? Exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Wow. Down to the cockpit is exactly the same. Hey, this is something I can't remember. Like, in the first Alien movie, does the Nostromo find the ship floating in space, or is it on a planet? On a planet. Okay. Which is the same planet in the second movie that they've actually went and um, colonized. Oh, that's the exact same planet? Okay. Yes. Because I was trying to think how, like, based on the ending of this movie, because she sends out some kind of, like, beacon to warn people away from the planet. So I didn't know, like... Okay, it does. Could that be the the signal that the Nostromo runs into or something? I don't. Know, I haven't seen this I, movie. In a long I time. don't. I don't think she sent out a signal. But one of the main things that Dave pointed out at the end is that there's more ships throughout the universe. So that's a big hint right there that one of these ships, not necessarily this planet, but definitely one of these ships, is what they run across in the first Alien movie. Hmm. So this. Retcons out AVP, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Unless the unless one of these ships goes through a wormhole and crashes in the Antarctic, and I don't know. <laughs> AVP didn't happen. Yeah. I'm sorry, AVP two didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, well, that definitely didn't happen. No, but I mean, like according to this, you know, well, you see, technically that can still happen like it still can be possible um just that the aliens that take you know that are in that movie are descended from like a different process (laughs) than the other aliens you know it's kind of twisted if you think about it too yes when they did when they did their dna match we are actually we share 100% DNA, or 100% of our DNA is from the engineers. If you think about the fact that Shaw's baby from her re-impregnated a 
engineer. The aliens are kind of in inbred. Hmm. <laughs> yes, but Jim loves his incest. Yeah. <laughs> but by the same token, like even though it's inbred, every time it passes through <laughs> a human, it's gaining more characteristics. So it, it, you know, it went through a human, um, and then you know it went through the engineer, and it became more alien-like. Now all it has to do is like go through you know another alien or another human or another you know uh, engineer and you know, it may have even more characteristics of the traditional alien. So to put this in our own historical perspective, the <coughs> the uh, the face hugger is Booster Gold. The <coughs> engineer is Booster's sister, and the alien is Rip Hunter. And now they don't exist anymore. Yep. <laughs> Did they ever answer that whole thing with Booster Gold and his sister? Nope. No, there was nothing to answer. They're not inbred. God damn it. Well, no, it, Booster Gold has since forgotten everything, and so did everybody else. Well, they were biological all... brothers and sisters, right? We don't actually. Did they okay. never confirm <laughs> that or not? Okay. Jim's like, all I care is whether brother and sister are hooking up. Uh, well, here's something else to thought now. So, we know these engineers created these weapons. Do you think whatever these weapons can turn out a lot different than the aliens themselves? Because they all have the same kind of characteristics. So, let's say another ship somewhere else has this kind of same process go through. How different do you think whatever comes out would be? Um. Well, we have to figure that the like the the, the the line that the alien goes through is that first you have just a regular little like worm in the ground that gets infected with this you know contagion stuff so I guess the first question you have to ask is would anything else that comes in contact with that black goo survive you know like would it actually you know would it mutate them or would they just die? What, what, what confuses me is when they first go into the colony, when they first go into this place, there's actually a mural with the big-headed-looking yeah. kind of alien thing on there. Yeah. You know, so it's like they know what it kind of looks like, but I would assume that this is the first time – in my mind, this would be the first time we get this kind of alien being just because it wasn't actually born through <laughs> normal methods. I mean – Shaw's boyfriend was infected with whatever goo it was when he had sex with her and impregnated her. So this, in my mind, this thing was like a completely new kind of being, which you know could be false as well. Yeah, that's so, that's, that's like with my whole David thing. Like, I, it felt like somebody was actively trying to create this kind of creature, but like the way we actually got it was a series of accidents. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know because. What you call it? Um, where did David get the uh, the stuff to put in the drink? He stole, he stole it out pillar. of the, the pillar that he stole. Did he, he took it out of the pillar. It wasn't from one of those like mutated <laughs> worm snakes. No. No. 
Like he, when they were like, David, we gotta go. Don't put anything in your bag and bring it with you. He put a pillar in his bag and brought it with him. Okay, so then in that case, okay, well in that case then, the black goot, it uh, mutated the snake, uh, the the worm into like a snake that had a head almost exactly like a face hugger. Mm-hmm. Then he had this infection in him, he impregnated her, and it creates, like, this enormous face hugger. So it's almost like, you know, this goo is generating face hugger technology. So maybe they don't know what the alien looks like exactly, you know, how it will turn out exactly, but it's going to be that same similar kind of technology. Like, they're, you know looking to generate these facehuggers to wipe everything out. It, it, it makes you wonder what whatever it was looked like that we have the recording of the engineers running from. I assumed that um, <clears throat> it was, like, well, I guess this probably doesn't make sense, actually. But I assumed at the time, <clears throat> like, one of them got, one or more of them got exposed to the black stuff. Oh, yeah. And it made them turn into, like, a zombie, like it did to that uh, one guy who attacked the ship. Well, remember too, one of the one of their stasis pods had one of those holes in it, like something came out of one of them. Mm. At the end, at, near the cockpit chamber, where David brings, you know, everybody back to one of the sleeping pods has a hole through it, like something came out of it. That's true, and it's been long enough, so it could have just died naturally if it wasn't in stasis or something. You know what the best part of this movie was? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that hologram dog at the beginning. <laughs> Whalen comes out and he's the whole 3D room hologram. And it's oh. just this dog is with him and the dog's just lying there doing dog stuff. <laughs> I wish he stayed. <laughs> Do you know who, uh, who Wayland was? Pierce? Yeah. Was it Pierce Bronson? No. Or Guy Pierce? <laughs> Uh, yeah, Guy Pierce. <laughs> There's a Pierce in there somewhere. Couldn't tell. Couldn't tell at all. I know. Yeah, uh, it was crazy. Who is that? Uh, he was in the Count of Monte Cristo. Uh, what else? <laughs> uh, he was in Memento. Uh, what else you got? Who was 007? Uh, Pierce Brosnan. Yeah, that okay, was Pierce wrong Brosnan. One. Let's go with that. He was James Bond. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you what else. Um, he was in the time machine. Nope. Um, <laughs> L.A. Confidential. Uh-uh. Uh huh. Bedtime stories with Adam Sandler. Oh. Jesus. <laughs> I don't know. You haven't seen any movies that are good, I've seen I guess. Movies. Yep, Bedtime Stories with Adam Sandler was a good movie. You haven't seen Memento. You haven't seen The Count of Monte Cristo. You haven't seen The Time Machine. Um, Whatever. I don't care who this is. <laughs> the Hurt Locker. Nope. Um, <laughs> he was in The King's Speech. Nope. Was he the king? He was king... Oh, King Edward VIII. Oh, yeah, he was the older brother. Nope, didn't see it. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> He's going to be in Iron Man 3. Interesting. In two years, I'll be able to tell you who he is. There you go. Nice. <laughs> uh. <clears throat> okay. What Jump. do you give this movie, everybody? <laughs> Bye. Yeah, definitely. Definitely <laughs> a buy. Uh, it's something you can watch definitely more than once, and it's something that can spark plenty of conversation. You know, yeah, that was... The, the one other thing about this movie is that, aside from the fact that, like, it raised a lot of amazing questions and it gave us a little bit of answers here and there, um, the fact of the matter is, like, there was a lot of action in it, and the acting was very good. Mm-hmm. Especially David. <clears throat> he, he stole the movie. Yeah, he was fantastic. Uh, Charlie Charon- Theron also. Oh, yes. Definitely oh. appreciated her. <clears throat> being in the movie. I mean, I'd, I'd give this a borrow, or three out of five, or whatever. Like, it was a good... It was a, it was a fun sci-fi movie, but... There was a lot of stuff, like, there's a lot of stuff in this that we didn't even talk about that was kind of, eh. Like what? Yeah, well, yeah, there, there are definitely, like, certain cheesy elements, like, like, like right in the beginning where you have <laughs> the, uh, the geologist who's like, it's like, I ain't risking my neck, you know, for that kind of stuff, I'm just, I'm just here for a paycheck. <laughs> Like every like every character in this movie is dumber than they should be to be on this <laughs> to have this job. You had the guy, the guy, like the first guy to get lost is the only guy that has 3D mappings of the entire place. The guy they brought along oh, no, specifically, no, 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 no. <laughs> the 3D mapping was they sent the probes out throughout the whole first part of the mission so by the time he got lost at the end is when they, the mapping was just about done of the whole place oh okay. yeah so he should have had a map to get out yeah like he was on, he was on the radio with a guy who was looking at a giant table size map it filled half the room yeah. uh, the the other guy the the guy who they brought along to specifically because he's an expert in studying like forms of life and aliens and whatever. He was completely useless. He, he sees an alien corpse and is like, I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> the same guy then sees an alien snake trying to bite him. He's like, oh, coochie, coochie, coo. Yeah, that was extremely <laughs> stupid. But you know what? Honestly, people people do dumb shit like that all the time. Well, especially yeah. in movies like that. Yeah, I mean, like, no, in real life, people do dumb shit like, ooh, what's that? Let's take a closer look. Hey, that looks like that looks like a giant alien snake. Oh, now it's flailing its head like it like a cobra does. I'm gonna poke it and give it a kiss. <laughs> oh, tell me you guys didn't love the fact when Buddy tried to cut it and it bled the acid. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, oh, <clears throat> clue. But like, like clue, did clue. did uh wow did like Shirley Theron did did blonde chick have to be Whalen's daughter? Like, did yes. that matter at all? Yes. Why? Explain to me why that mattered. Because you have this person running this mission, and, like, she doesn't believe in the mission at all. Uh-huh. Uh, but yet she's running the whole mission, and she's, you know, coordinating everything. And you knew that something was going on 
you know, especially for the fact that, you know, she is running this trillion dollar mission, you know, and it turns out that she is the daughter, you know, of him and, you know, trying to fulfill his last, last request. Why does she have to be his daughter? Like, I, I spent the entire movie well, going, what, like, oh, God. What, what Jim just said for her kind of being the foil to everybody else, being a negative person out of the whole group. But not only that, it gives a, a bigger dynamic between her and David. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> like, I, I spent the entire movie think, thinking, okay, she's just, like, the cliche big bad corporate person oh, no, who, I knew. Doesn't, who doesn't care about anything but the money or the bottom line or whatever. Well, that's like, the that's... thing. She's like, she is the big corporate person, but she's only focused on the task, you know, the mission task. And the reason is because it's for the preservation of her father's life. And if it, it had been anybody else, if it was just somebody that they hired, nobody would really, you know, nobody but his daughter is going to care whether he lives or dies. Yeah, nothing about the reveal well, made me care. <laughs> David. David is the main person behind it as well. Well, yeah, but I mean, yeah, I mean, as far as, you know, human crew. Yeah, it was like such a poor, like, when they like gave like, like, of course I'll help you. Or stepdad, or whatever she said. When she first says the word father, I just rolled my eyes. I'm like, <laughs> oh, hey, great. <laughs> It's understandable, but it, it it brings a certain level of drama. I couldn't, I couldn't nail down for a fact if David was trying to kill every kill his father or not. Um, just like that whole that uh, that whole line of you know kids wanting to see their parents die basically or something like that made me question whether he was really trying to help or not. Yeah, that whole thing where he looks at the dot of the ooze on his finger, he's like big things that have small beginnings. And then he immediately spikes the guy's drink. It's like, did David... David fucking hates people. Like, why well, does no, he no, want everybody to die? That dude, that dude specifically was Shaw's boyfriend, and I think there's that, that's twofold. One, I really think David had a thing for Shaw. I mm-hmm. think he envied her. I think he liked her. I'm not really sure, but he envied her. He, I, I think he dug her more than anybody else. He had a thing for her. Two, Shaw's boyfriend was a dick to him. Yeah. <laughs> Insulted him more than once. Um, I, I forget exactly what he said, but he definitely insulted David and kind of pissed him off. He got on his bad side. And David gave him a chance, too, because he told him, he's like, you know, what would you do to get the answers you're looking for? How far would you go? Yeah, and but... He, he answered the question not knowing how far David would take things. Yeah, but, I mean, it would be one thing if that happened, and then David went and got a spiked drink and brought it back to him. But, like, they had that exchange after David made the choice to spike his drink with alien poison and feed it to him. No, it's when he said, okay, it's when David dipped his finger in it. He brought the the drink, but he didn't dip, dip his finger in it until dude agreed. Yeah, that's the equivalent of David coming up with a, a gun in his pocket... And making a call on the spot of whether or not he's going to blow the guy away. Like this, if, <laughs> if, if the guy would have stopped and said, you know, maybe he wouldn't want to know, or, or had there was a certain kind of limit to how far he'd go, maybe David wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't have stuck his finger in there. Maybe he would have just gave him a drink without it. Yeah, but then, then you've still got David walking around the ship ready to kill some random person well, for what? Why? It's not kill. It's an experiment. Yeah, and the experiment, as far as he knows, will result in death. 
it gives him the chaos he needs to go do what he needs to do. Which was what again? <laughs> go, go find the, the an alive engineer to bring his father to. Yeah, he did that really simply by just, like, he went out with them the second time exactly the same as the first, only this time he went right when they went left and turned his camera off and nobody had any idea. He didn't have to do anything to anybody. <laughs> that's that's kind of true, too. Um, what do you call it? The other thing as far as David being you know interested in Shaw, I think it probably had more to do with the fact that she did wear the cross and that her dreams were of her faith and of her father. Something that David found, you know, fascinating or something that he couldn't understand or something like that. Being that he's all logic-based and all that. Right. Science as opposed to religion. (coughs) Which is actually pretty interesting because now they're going off to this home planet, you have the one who believes in faith and the one who believes in technology, and the engineers are, you know, kind of both. both. <laughs> it's like, where does one start and where does one end? You know, who's who's right in the sequel? Sequel's going to be amazing. Oh, yeah. At least to look at. And, you know, there is something if you... I don't remember if it was, I think it was at the end of the credits. It had like October 10th, 12th, 2012 or something like that, either on the screen during the movie. I think it was actually in the credits. So I think there's some kind of announcement coming up this October. Nice. Mm-hmm. I'll take it. You guys ready for a uh, Larflees report? I guess. It's Mine. Chad. <laughs> is Chad coming on? Yes, he is. Hey, LanternCast family, I'm Chad Bulkelman, and welcome to yet another installment of the Larfrey's Report. And we're going to hop straight into the mix here with DC Zero Issues. And since introducing the New 52, the mystery behind all new origins of the DC staple characters has been steadily building. With the New Zero Issues, DC promises to shed a little light, at least, on the history of their new universe. And starting with the unexpected Green Lantern Issue Zero, out September 5th. The introduction comes in the form of one you might not expect, uh, the all-new gun-toting Earth Lantern from somewhere other than America. The new Arabic Lantern promises to bring a new viewpoint into the series and begins to see the storyline leading up to the upcoming Trinity War and the even closer Third Army storyline. And then out on September 12th, the following week, Uh, Green Lantern comes out with the Green Lantern Corps, uh, issue number zero, with the all-new 52 origin of Guy Gardner, and yet another piece to the puzzle that will become the Third Army event. Now, quick note here, all of these zero issues for Green Lantern-related stuff says prologue to the Third Army storyline. Now, whether that means, like, the same four pages in the back of each of these issues or a different piece to the puzzle, who knows, but, you know, they have pulled both instances instances in the past so who knows um and speaking of the third army we know it will involve a war against the guardians i mean that's no spoilers by now but well in green lantern uh, new guardians number zero kyle's new guardians team consisting of carol most notably in her new non-whorish outfit (laughs) (laughs) yay finally (laughs) They begin to prepare for their war against the Guardians, and the team is suspiciously absent of an Indigo representative. 
And lastly, Red Lantern's number zero peels back the blood red curtain to Atrocitus' past, all while revealing a dangerous new prophecy that threatens to change everything. Uh, they really want to use that everything line a whole lot, don't they? Um, and while we ramp up for the third army events, don't forget seeds are still being sown for the Trinity War event. So keep your eyes specifically on Justice League Zero and Phantom Stranger Zero for the seeds of the DC's next major crossover event. Uh, and just of note, if you're paying attention to Justice League, Justice League Zero is also the final appearance. You know, they finally reveal the origin of Billy Batson as Shazam. I suppose they're calling him now. Foxy Shazam. <laughs> he will be unstoppable. Chad, and two, yeah. When can people look forward to the first episode of the Fandom Stranger podcast? And two other Green Lantern uh, things uh, <laughs> of note: uh, Green Lantern Core, the Weaponer trade paperback, out October seventeenth for fifteen dollars. Features Tyler Kirkham's first stand on the on a Green Lantern related book with Green Lantern Core number fifty three through number fifty seven. As we are introduced to the man that made Sinestro's ring and the tool that unleashed fear on the universe. <laughs> what a tool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Green Lantern, the animated series, season one, part one, for 20 bucks. Uh, the solicitation in previews did not tell you how many episodes are on this disc, uh, but I'm going to imagine it's the first half. <laughs> So six? Uh, probably. I mean, it's usually these things are like one disc. Um, I'd, although, kind of brings up a point with me. I'm kind of upset the way the DC is doing this with their seasons. They're not releasing a whole season on a, on one series like season one disc set. They do the same thing with Young Justice. I don't. I don't get why they do that. But you know. Wait, 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 wait. What is this? What are you talking about? <laughs> Greenland in the animated series season one part one. Hang on a second. There's only backwards. like, are there only like twelve episodes <laughs> in the season? Some, something mm-hmm. like that. Hang on, because I found. I mean, well, my, unless my they're only of, halfway through the season right now. No, season one's over. It should be over, isn't it? They they <laughs> they didn't quite say if the next episode was going to pick up a new season or just continue season one. They didn't they didn't say for sure. Yeah, I think this is the same thing that I talked about a couple episodes back. Yeah, no, this is... Yeah, 13 episodes, two discs. Yeah, this is everything that's aired. Right, but it still says, why are they advertising then as season one, part one? They do the same thing with Young Justice. Have you seen Young Justice on DVD at, like, Walmart and stuff? <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I have season one, part one of that. But Ridiculous. Like, just put everything in one... One box. I want a, the whole season on, you know, one solid thing. Yeah. Yeah, you tell him, Chad. Yeah. Well, it but, would just make it makes sense. Like, why would why would you split it up like that? Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it more production? You tell like, him, Chad. Whatever. Yeah. It's <laughs> also like it's also a lower price point than the combined set would be, so you could get people who might not want to spring for a full season or something. Plus, you can put out more product over time, because then, because this way you can release season one, part one, and then season one, part two, and then further down the line, the complete season one. Hmm. I guess. Ooh. Yeah. yeah but 
you know what? The 13 episodes they aired pretty much are a complete story. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Alright, Marvel pick. Thank God Corwin is here, because I haven't been reading this at all. Uh, <laughs> Avengers Assemble number 7, written by Brian Michael Bendis and uh, art by Mark Bagley. Have you been reading this, Corwin, at all? I have. <laughs> I have. It started out pretty rough. Um, <laughs> yeah, it started out pretty rough. It got interesting when they threw the cosmic in there now, because we have the Guardians of the Galaxy showing up, who is uh, one of my favorite books when it was going. Um, definitely had a thing for the cosmic, so I'm glad to see that's going on. And of course, you know, Thanos is never really a bad thing to have. Right, and unless Thanos unless you're the, the universe. <laughs> yeah, Thanos is on the cover for number seven, wielding the Infinity Gauntlet. So I, I, having never read Infinity Gauntlet, which I already have the trade paperback on hold for me at my LCS, which I'll get probably tomorrow as we record this, um, I'm looking forward to seeing a new interpretation. Whether it sucks or not, I suppose that's up to you, Corin, to tell me, but uh, we'll figure it out. <laughs> have you have you read any of uh, Bendis' Illuminati miniseries? No. Okay, and then how about the recent Avengers relaunch, like the second story arc? I can tell you the the most recent Avengers storyline I read was the Avengers, like, Secret Origin or whatever, that four or five issue miniseries that came out that long ago. Okay, well, the Avengers actually, well, the Illuminati actually have the Infinity Gems. Each of them is hiding one of the gems. Oh. So Iron Man has one, Cap has one, uh... Who else? Xavier. And the I'm, rest. I'm forgetting the rest of them, but yes. Here on Avengers. <laughs> hmm. That's weird. Well, because the image shows uh, each of the Avengers uh, re- that are in the movie, of course, reflected in one of the soul gems. Yeah. So, um, I guess if... All right, never mind. Uh, let's see. Indie pick. Nexus Omnibus Volume 1 Trade Paperback. Out November 28th. For 25 bucks, 416 pages. It collects Nexus Volume 1, 1 through 3, and Nexus Volume 2, 1 through 11. And I'm a big fan of the old school classic Nexus storylines and just the, the craziness that ensues in those. And I, I think it's uh, it's it's good storytelling uh, uh, in, in pure comic form. So. It's definitely worth picking up, especially for twenty-five bucks for over four hundred pages. That's Steve Rude. Uh, yes, I believe so. I can double-check that, but yeah, it should be. Um, yep, Mike, Mike Barron, and Steve Rude. Yes, sir. Cool. Cool. Good artwork. All right, and now the moment I'm sure you've been waiting for. <laughs> the ridiculous duo. <laughs> All right. Since this is stuff releasing for September, for whatever reason, they're soliciting Halloween issues for October. I don't know. <laughs> and in, in these specialty one-off Halloween stories, there's one from Banana Tail Press <laughs> called Combat Jacks Number One, written by Mark McKenna and art by Jason Bro. Barody, Barudi, for four bucks. And I'll just, like all these, I'll just read the solicitation. A Marine squad sent to investigate the disappearance of prison terraformers on newfound planet Maya 
finds the situation is worse than expected. The oxygen-rich atmosphere created by the planet's pumpkin-like vegetation makes Maya a perfect choice for settlement and the perfect flytrap. Now, this would make a lot more sense if you actually saw the cover for Combat Jacks number one. A bunch of jack-o'-lanterns, giant flytrap crossover things attacking this marine chick. Which just looks absolutely ridiculous. Oh, God. You see it? I see it. (laughs) Now you know why it's part of the ridiculous duo. (laughs) It looks like a Muppet. (laughs) Okay, what's, what's it called again? Combat Jacks number one from Banana Tail Press. Like, I can see, I can hear Elmo's voice coming out of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, until until I found the second thing on the list, the other, it was either going to be Combat Jacks or Lydia versus the Zombies, number one, just as an honorable mention in the Ridiculous Duo. Just because it says somewhere, some, something in the solicit about a pet zombie hamster. But... Oh, <laughs> might not be so bad. Oh, Anyways. this looks adorable. <laughs> what? Lydia versus the zombies? Oh, whatever. <laughs> now, this one I'm going to get some flack for because I am no good at anime pronunciation or anything like that. Let's get ready to give him hell, Corwin. Yeah. This is on you. It's uh, Icky Tosin series, T-O-U-S-E-N. Uh, it's... It, you know what I'm talking about already, Corin? I think so. Keep going. <laughs> All right, great, great guardians, Sonsaku Hafuku, something like that. Uh, version two PVC figure for 109.99 comes out October 12th. Now, I am all for a healthy representation of your sexuality and get what you want, and if you if you like it and it turns you on, whatever, do what you want to do. However. There are limits to what you have in your collection. And just listening to the solicitation here, this one-seventh scale PVC statue of leggy heroine Sanosaku captures her in an unguarded moment as she's pulled up her school uniform top, revealing the underside of her ample bosom, while her gym shorts are pulled down around her knees, all while reclined on the ground in a seductive pose. Yeah, that just that just sounds bad. I yeah. think that's the high school fighting one. Um, I'm, I'm thinking, well, it's not Tenjo Tenge, but I think that's the one with the high school kids, and they're all fighters and stuff. Yeah, I, I don't watch much anime, so I guess I really shouldn't criticize. But at the same time, when you make a statue of a chick with her top half pulled up <laughs> and her pants pulled down around her on her knees while she's kicked back, reclining and looking seductive, I mean. There's a limit, you know. That's pretty much most of those statues. Well, they yeah. no, I I agree. They they, they all look kind of weird. And every time I pass by them, when I'm flipping through previews for stuff, I go, "Really, people buy that?" But th- this one in particular was just like, seriously, like you would feel comfortable. If someone <laughs> came over, you know, just hanging out and looked in your display case, and you had that in there. <laughs> you know those uh, Bushoji or Bushuju, however you pronounce it comic character statues that they do the japanese version of like our comic characters yeah oh like the star sapphire and jade and stuff yeah the mystique one was so bad (laughs) one of my friends like had to totally skip that one out of his collection (laughs) oh wow (laughs) i like i like the star sapphire and the jade one i thought those were kind of cool i think the marvel ones are worse (laughs) well listen 
Jag could talk for hours about statues that make him horny, but I think <laughs> I think we should give Corwin the opportunity to to plug his various ventures on the internet because it's got to be past his curfew by now. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it's not a lot of things. Of course, Earth's Mightiest Podcast. You can catch myself, Fiat, and Alex uh, pretty much two to three times a month talking about all the Avengers books. Uh, actually branching out with something a little bit different as well. So I think next episode is actually going to be our Pathfinder episode. Uh, if you guys don't know, Pathfinder is a tabletop uh, role-playing game. And we actually went through the starter set. Uh, it was actually pretty fun, and then we interviewed the creators of it. Um, and actually, the writer of the upcoming comic book Pathfinder, as well as the guy that did the Skull Kickers. So we had some pretty, you know, some fun talking about that. Uh, but then, of course, we have our AVX coverage, which we're knee deep in. Uh, besides that, you can catch me on the culturalwormhole.com presents the Merc Report, which is the monthly dose of Deadpool. <laughs> Who uh, has gone down from four books a month to one. So we cover one Deadpool book a month uh, plus retro reviews. So if you like Deadpool or interested, you definitely want to check it out. Check us out there. You can also find me on Twitter, Corwin C. That's Corwin and then the letter C. Uh, and, of course, uh, with Earth's Mightiest Podcast, we are on the forums, uh, forumsforgeeks.com. We have all kind of uh, talk about Avengers as well as binding talk and you're listening to this show, you must know about the Lantern Cast forums. You can catch me there as well with my other Lantern Binding thread. Nice. Sweet. Shameless self-promotion. Oh, gotcha. Hi, Corn. What a shill. I'm loving my new bind. I know you guys saw the pictures I posted. Oh, Lord of Green Lantern's bind is just beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. How long does it take you to get those back? Depend on the time of the year. Uh, now, the binders are really busy because they're usually doing school books and stuff. So now you're looking at six to eight weeks turnaround, probably. <laughs> Most cases, it's three to four during the slower times, but yeah. you got to figure that just after San Diego Comic-Con is <laughs> a much larger uh, turnaround time. Everybody's sending in their comics to get bound. Do you Maybe. Just, do you just send in, like, one to be done at a time, or do you send no. in, like... I usually do about four. Four of them fit in a... Four, four fit in the medium-sized UPS flat-rate box. So I usually do four at a time. Hmm. Cool. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for coming on, Corwin, and talking about all of this questionable material with us. <laughs> oh, any time. Thanks. Definitely. I appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, I love the talk. Loved, I, I had a lot of fun with Prometheus talking. I, I got my answer now. I can actually <laughs> let it go. Let the movie go. <laughs> You're welcome, Corwin. You're welcome. We can w finally walk away from it, bury it in the backyard, move on with our lives. <laughs> exactly. I got my answer now. The why has been answered. Until uh, until the, the director's edition comes out. Possibly. Until Prometheus 2, prometheus <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> Prometheus 3, prometheus <laughs> So, Dan, why don't you give us the Lantern Cast number? 
Ah, oh, Jesus. Uh, 708 Lantern. <laughs> oh, he knew it. Yeah. Oh, that must have been so hard for you. It was. I, if you could hear it in my voice, I was like, oh, uh, er, 708 <laughs> How, how many how many takes did it take to get him to do the episode number right? <laughs> One take and then he dropped the mic and walked away. I did. Like <laughs> God. Yeah, so you know, go to lanterncast.com, check out all of our stuff. It's it's got all of our episodes, all of our blog postings that I assume we'll have started doing by the time this gets posted. <laughs> we'll have, uh, got our forum, come join up, talk to amazing people like me and Chad and Corwin. Yep. And then... Bastard. <laughs> yeah. you, know, you really are a bastard. No, Just I know every, my dad. Every once in a while, Meg shows up too. Oh, okay. As long as I don't have to mention you. Oh, me too. <laughs> that balloon guy cool. Yeah. He is. He's just he just caught up to all of our episodes except this one and the one right before it. But he's caught up. More than he, Corwin. We, we should yeah, more than Corwin. Corwin. <laughs> yeah, work's been kicking my butt. <laughs> Haven't had time to really listen to a podcast. Of course now now Jacob and John are gonna be like, How come we didn't get shout outs also? What the hmm. So it's lanterncast at gmail.com. <laughs> <laughs> Search Twitter and Facebook and just Google us. You'll find us. It's fine. And Space, space Flash. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Google Space Flash. You'll find us. It'll be great. <laughs> Actually, I bet if you Google Space Flash, let's say. Hang on. I gotta try I'm going to do it. Let's all do it. Are you putting a space in between them or is it one word? I'm doing one word. Um, no. Space Flash. I think I found his blog. Space Flash Green Lantern. God. All right. Good night, Corwin. <laughs> good night, Corwin. All right, guys. Good night. Good night, sir. Later. All right. Um, I got two other things for the Larflees report. I was just gonna say we could just um, insert them real quickly. Right. Well, right. From... You're waiting for Corwin <laughs> to leave. No, you. Uh, Dan, obviously uh, he had a time frame because Dan said that he cut in and said that we needed yeah. to do this stuff. He cut in and said so. that you could talk for hours and hours. Yeah, yeah. At, at, statues, right at the point where, About statues. Yeah, that, that's... Will we, we you shut up for two seconds? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. Right right at the point where he, right at the point where he says that, we're like, I'm sure we can listen to Chad talk about for hours and hours. Right... We can just pick up after, you know, we could cut what I'm about to say into right before that point, and then... But that wouldn't really play off too well from the statue. Yeah, it would, because it's... I'm serious, like, seriously, you've got, like... Two more statues than, that would make you no, horny? No, no. Hi, Chad, stop looking at all this porn. <laughs> Why don't we just oh. keep all this... Well, we're going to keep all this in anyway. Let's just keep it Are all in, serious? in this order, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> this is what we do. Okay. Continuing the Larflees report. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. Before we get to the pick of the week, yes. something for Dan, something for Dan to pay attention to. Uh, uh, I was gonna toss out an honorable mention. DC Comics 
rarely puts out art books, uh, as far as I've been aware, ever since I've been looking at uh, these uh, previews over the past few years. DC Comics, The Sequential Art of Amanda Connor. Hardcover, November 7th for 30 bucks. Written by Amanda Connor, Jeff Johns, Justin Gray, Jimmy Palmiotti, Judd Winnick, Barbara Kiesel, Chuck Dixon, Jay Nitz, and Terry Moore. 304 pages of Amanda Connor artwork. Now, Dan, do you know who Amanda Connor is? I've heard the name. <laughs> I think, wait, she, does, does she work at the market down the street from me? Is that where I... No, 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 no. I think, I think, I think I saw her at a library. What? No, 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 no. That's that's not it. That's not it. Um, wait, 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 wait. No, no, not ringing a bell. Weren't yes, you... I know who Amanda Connor is. Jesus Christ, what do you think this is? It was the Are longest, you... most drawn out. Yeah, it was pretty. Oh, God. And I regret <laughs> nothing. Good, good effort, good effort out there. But uh, <laughs> yeah, for those of you who don't know, at least what I was referencing when I saw this was the fact that Dan really liked the Power Girl series not out not too long ago, and she did a lot of the art for that. Correct, not just the cover art. Didn't she do some interior? Oh, she she was the series artist until right. it uh, changed over after uh, she was on it for I think two full years and then. It got a new artist going forward. Right. Well, they uh, they went ahead and solicited the art, the sequential art of Amanda Connor uh, in in here. So it's it's actually pretty cool looking. Uh, they've got a list here of some of the other <laughs> stuff she's been on. Uh, let's see, the Green Arrow, Black Canary, Wedding Special, Secret Origins, eighty page giant number one, the, the Joker, pro. Last Last Sequels. Yeah. What? The Pro. Ah, yes, the Pro. Such a fun book. <laughs> Wonder Woman 600, all that kind of stuff. So just keep a lookout for that because I, I do believe it's fairly rare that uh, DC puts out these art books um, for highlighting their artists that aren't classic artists of DC like Neil Adams and such. And now the pick of the week. Week, now, week, week, week. week. <laughs> That's your sound effect. Wow. That's that's awesome. You're welcome. roughly fifty years ago, a fictional novel came out by a Madeline now Laangle, I believe. Is how you say her last name? I'm oh, not quite sure. Uh, Wrinkle in Time? Yes. Wrinkle in Time, a very popular fictional novel, came out about 50 years ago. It is finally being converted into a 392-page, $20 graphic novel. Oh, wow. Uh, art by a Miss Hope Larson. It will convert this classic story into a graphic novel form. And I didn't bother writing much about this because I figured one of the two of you would have read Wrinkle in Time in your past history. Yeah, definitely. Not me. It's a, it's, it's a great, great book. Yeah, that's... Uh, did they, they... They time travel in that one? Uh, time travel, I believe, was in... Um, 
what is the one many waters many waters was time travel you remember that um i remember ta- one where they came up against like angels seraphim and seraphim nephilim uh they, they, they went back to the time of noah Yeah, that 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 was that was many waters. That was one of my other favorite books. But Wrinkle in Time is perhaps well, it is her best known book. Yeah. So yeah, that, was, that was a fantastic book. And it, it, this year is marks the 50 year anniversary of that novel. So they are celebrating it the way comic fans want, with 392 pages for 20 bucks of nice. graphic awesomeness. Now, Hope Larson's art is not something that immediately catches my eye. I'm just being honest. However, I have seen stuff like this in the past and been able to look past it because of the great interpretation, and I think I'll be able to do it for this. So It looks like it would be very accessible, you know, for kids who, you know, wanted, like, an introduction to comics and love that book. That's true. I'm looking at the, uh... Oh, I lost it. I had the cover up to the thing. It's, it's, you know, it's cartoony. It's nice. I mean, she's married to Brian Lee O'Malley, who does Scott Pilgrim. So you can really? kind of see. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, she actually, she went to the same college I did, not the same time, and then moved to Toronto with her husband, Mr. Scott Pilgrim man. Do, do you know her? No, I don't. But, like, so it makes sense, like, she would have, like, a more, like, simple and cartoony kind of style because that's what she's around all the time because that's all her husband kind of does. It is cool, though. I do enjoy it. Uh, it's, 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 it's something that the more and more I look at the solicits for the book, uh, I enjoy it more and more. So I believe I can get used to it for, for, for such a good interpretation. And just a quick new introduction for the Larfleys Report, just to make it more consistent – just listing where the where they ranked as far as the number numbered issues of Green Lantern. So for the Green Lantern related number nines issue, Green Lantern New Guardians number nine ranked at number thirty eight. Green Lantern number uh, Green Lantern number nine ranked at number eleven. Red Lanterns number nine ranked at number fifty four, and Green Lantern Corps number nine ranked at number thirty six as far as the comics top top selling comics of the month, I believe. Awesome, and it's very helpful to have them in order like that. (laughs) (laughs) And in order, that would be from from least to best. Red Lanterns, then New Guardians, then Green Lantern Corps, then Green Lantern. That makes sense. Yeah. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. New Guardians is much better than Green Lantern Corps. Yeah, but it's only like it's only like two away or so yeah yeah so mm. <sighs> so we well, our... <laughs> we all <laughs> speaking of favorite we... how many times do we do this in any all. given episode yes james every he time. knows every it time. burns his soul so I already gave all the clothing stuff, so we could just stop whenever we feel like it. <laughs> yeah. A dead halt. <laughs> yeah. Um, if anybody out there hasn't joined the forums yet, now would be a good time to join them. It's really popping off up in there, son. 
We promise Chad won't do that again. Yeah. <laughs> if you join up, then we won't make Chad do that again. <laughs> we'll make Chad not do that again. Actively yeah. not do it. Um, I'm not scared of these New Yorkers. We. Uh, I live in New Jersey. Yeah, but you did live in New York. Only for four years. <laughs> Honorary New Yorker. I'm like, wait, what? I live in New Jersey now. <laughs> Actually, a buddy of mine, uh, I think he's probably lived in New Jersey. Let's see. I've lived in New Jersey for 25 years. Wait, are we going years. on another tangent? Yes. Yes. Okay. My buddy has lived in New Jersey for probably almost as many years as he's lived on Long Island. And I still consider him, you know, a New Yorker. Come on. I, I've lived in New Jersey for 25 years. And yes, in New York for four years. I don't even live in New York anymore. It's the four that count. Oh, that's, so everything else is free pass? Everything I do going forward doesn't go on my permanent record? Sure, we'll go with that. Sweet! Crime! We should do a background check on this guy. Well, if you're not questionable. He's, he's already grandfathered in, Chad. You're, you're the um, one that would have to go through the background check. Hey, Chad. man. Check out the comments on the forums, man. I'm I, I got my fans. Listen, if anything, we've come to realize today that as long as we have Bloom, you're replaceable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we both we both came to that conclusion at the exact same time, independently of each other. <laughs> Bloom may have listened to all the episodes start to finish, but I've listened to them all start to finish like twelve times. You're flying. Yeah. That explains so much. Uh, I, lo I love what he wrote. The addition of Chad has been terrific too, especially with the Laura Fleeves reports. And by the way, you're welcome, Chad, for that. Oh. Chad reminds me of the Jason Newstead of the group being a what? great addition to the team, but will always be considered the new guy by the Founders Lantern cast. Founders Jim and Dan, which is actually good because it adds fun banter between the three of you. <laughs> Love that. I, I, thought, I thought I was razzing. I didn't know it was banter. That's <laughs> eh, banter. You're getting razzed. <laughs> you know, I, was, I listened to this other podcast. It's, it's a bad movie podcast called Yeah, It's That Bad. It's really, really good. And... Part way through, it started out with two of them, and part of the way through, they added a third guy named Kevin. And on a recent episode, they read an email from a guy saying, like, talking about how, like, he used to listen to the, he listened to them from the beginning, and wasn't pleased with the addition of Kevin at first. And he was like, his exact wording was something like, at first, I hated the fact that Kevin was on the Earth, but now he's grown to be one of my favorite characters. <laughs> <laughs> it's like his existence pissed someone off. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure Chad does that. Uh, who who was it that uh, was making fun of Jeff? Geoff? Golf. 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 Uh, golf. <laughs> golf club. Yeah. No. Yeah. Jeff. What did he? What did Jeff say again? I don't change know. for the sake of change. Oh, oh yeah. That was so funny. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. I'm glad you mentioned the forums, though, because <laughs> I I thought you were going to do some completely random announcement slash tangent that kind of trailed off into nothingness, like that time you were like, hey, 
if anybody can do a good Flash voice, email me in, and uh, we'll see if we can't figure something out for you. And nothing ever came of that. Yeah, I still don't even know what that was for. And I don't care that much. Dan Dan was never supposed to know about that. Uh, Thanks. Until it was too late. Because that's usually how things work best with Dan. How did I get sucked into this episode? I don't know. I didn't think you were gonna be on it. Yeah, we were we were kind of planning on you not being here. Well, was this supposed to only be two hours? What are we on? Three. 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 Sweet. Uh, hey, uh, Chad. You know, you know, we came in the mail today. Oh God. Mm, fuck if I know. Supergirl by Tess Fowler. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, what did she do? I, she did something recently. I saw on her Facebook wall. I really liked Supergirl. Oh, she's no, she's being she's ramping up a lot for San Diego. So I, I'm, yeah, never mind. It's probably lost in the clutter by now. She did a. Uh, she's doing a print of uh, the dragon woman from. That's what I like. Game of Thrones. Cool. Yeah, that was cool. She'll probably like after you know after San Diego. Uh, she may have, like, a couple of prints left on her Etsy site. Although... I'm, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I may be getting a, uh action figure of Alan Scott in his new Earth 2 costume, by the way. A completely customized action figure. Nice. Which I will not share with you the details on until I figure out the pricing. And if it's too much for me, I'll just be like, all right, fine, here, Jim. <laughs> Look this up sometime. <laughs> Actually, actually, no, 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 I'm not going to say anymore. Good. <laughs> You'll forget by tomorrow anyways. No, I'm afraid I won't. Anyway. Uh, this episode's over. Yeah. Um, yeah, so go check out the forums, and uh, maybe by the time this episode goes up, the <laughs> website will be better. It's better now. It's definitely better now. But, I mean, it's still it not... Be it's not the betterest. It could be yes. better for her. Yeah. I can't believe it's not better. <laughs> hey. Let's do that. We should never strive for a better-ist, because that implies that there's nowhere left to go. And well, there will always be room for growth here at Vendercast. Well, yeah, at no. <laughs> Listen, it, it can be the betterest. Um, and then if we want to make it even better than that, then it will be the most betterest. But then okay. that's even less place to go. Well, then then you have infinite betterest. But why wouldn't infinite be most? Because if it's the, if it's the infinite betterest, that by definition that's the most you can have. Well, no, because the most oh. is only the most for like a particular you know set of numbers and requirements. Well, how Infinite do you know is across every requirement? How do you know you won't come up with new requirements though? You don't know. Or are you gonna have the infiniter? Or infinity or squared? You guys are just too cool. Is this still gonna be on the episode? <laughs> I'm just kind of hoping that James swoops in and fixes Does his magic. Fixes Cut it right I here. Did. Cut it right here. Cut it now. <laughs> 
Well, I'm talking about the website. Oh. I basically went in and fiddled around with a bunch of things, and we have a new look. Um, and I'll probably go back to it again at some point. But I'm hoping James is just, like, going to swoop in and be like, bam, now it's amazing. And I'll be like, awesome, I'm done. Be like, what? Awesome, I'm done. No, before that. Bam. Bam. <laughs> oh. Found Chad's favorite word, I guess. Yeah, it doesn't take much to make Chad laugh. Bam, bam. Chad, bam! bam. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm laughing. I'm laughing at something else. Have you checked your phone yet, Jim Ford? Oh. Good night, everybody. Night. Night. started so i went to uh my parents to pick up some mail that uh i had received and do you know what i received in the mail today summons no no that was uh that was on monday were you served (laughs) (laughs) no um so was it was it was it fourth of july rope (laughs) (laughs) that would be awesome but no uh, and James, this can totally go in the after the credits. <laughs> um, what do you call it? So you remember the episode where I was talking about possibly getting the art by uh, Martin O'Dell? Yeah. I was oh. like debating whether or not I should bid on it or not. Mm-hmm. So I ended up not bidding on it, and um, I haven't really had time to go on and you know and scour eBay to see if anything better has come along, but. Lo and behold, after that episode went up, I got an email from our friend Mark Marble, Ooh. and he says he's like, he's like, hey, you know that zero hour cover that you were talking about with the uh, the battery drawn by Martin O'Dell? He's like, I actually have that. So you know, I'm like, you know, it's like, oh great, thanks for rubbing it in. <laughs> <laughs> A little salt in the wound there. <laughs> Um, he's like, no, no, he's like, he's like, somebody got it for me as a gift. He's like, and it's just packed away. It's not really, you know, doing anything for my collection right now. He's like, I'll send it to you. Oh. So he actually sent it to like your mom's address. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it it took some time to, uh, to actually get it, but I got it today. It is currently on display (laughs) in my, uh, my desk. Um, I have like a in, at the bottom of a drawer. No, no, it's like I have a cubby hole, so it, it has to be kind of like angled to fit. But yes, I have. It's the Green Lantern battery drawn by Martin O'Dell, signed Martin O'Dell and Green Lantern. Oh, it's fantastic. They're gonna say nice. it's signed to Mark Marble. <laughs> that would still be awesome. <laughs>